plots of land and the starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. Don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me off forever, but I ask you please. Don't fence me Good, 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 good. Happy Friday, everybody. Radio Free Almond. Yeah. I got the studio all to myself. For a little while, at least, before Gia Valenti comes in and Suzanne Venker comes in. It's going to be a female-rich environment here at the Radio Free Almond Studios. Brought to you by... Discovery Design. Yes, out there at beautiful St. Peter's. Rick Pogue and Jerry and the rest of the gang. Built trucks. Yeah, built trucks, baby. I think I'm going to get this, by the way, speaking of vehicles. I think, I, I think I'm going to get the... I think I'm going to get this Jeep. I'm, I think I'm going to get this Rubicon, baby. Yeah, man. I'm loving the Jeep, the Dave Sinclair Jeep, Rubicon Jeep. I might have to trade in the Malibu and just get the Jeep. I, I, I love that thing. Yesterday I had to scramble to put the roof on again because it started to rain, but nonetheless, I had to get it. Come on. Thing's awesome. You know, I, I, I was kind of hydroplaning. Yesterday, a little bit. Felt good. You know how I like hydroplaning. Get you there faster. Get you places. Get you moving. Get your blood blood boiling. Yeah. Well, good morning this morning, everybody. Yes, you might have noticed the the, uh, the, the picture's a little tighter. We're just kind of... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I got to turn this off for a second. Oh, hi, hi. Hi, Jamie. What are you doing there? I've got, I've got the comment section open because I can kind of talk to you guys directly as well because we have a lot to talk about today. By the way, Suzanne Vanker is cool because she's going to be uh, in and she is uh, going to be teaming up with Gia for a show on the Radio Free Elma Network. And just for a little taste of what she's all about, if you go to SuzanneVanker.com, and she's got a couple of articles there. Broken relationships are at the heart of the suicide epidemic. And we've got smart parents don't fall for gender propaganda. Uh, be smart and put marriage ahead of career. And what patriarchal conspiracy? Chivalry is dead because women killed it. Men called. They want their balls back. So you get the idea of how Suzanne Vanker rolls. So she's going to be with us. And G is going to be in, too. I don't know how she's going to make it in. The, I, I'll be surprised to see her in here 
with uh, bells on because last time I checked, she was out hanging out with Bob Gibson at, uh, it looked like it was Cafe Napoli or something, but I don't know. We'll see how, how Gia uh, fares. But I had a great night last night with Dr. DePuti, and I have to tell you, I had a fantastic vibe going last night because it's a, it's a brand new sponsor of the show. And I got to tell you, we had a fabulous, I'll tell you more a little bit about it, but I was, um, I was, I was smoking some cigars and hanging out and having a good old time at a place called Santino Cigars and Cocktails. It's right there in Arnold. And I got to tell you, this place is the bomb. You wouldn't even notice it. It's like in this in a little kind of a strip molly thing, and it's a storefront and has Santino cigars and cocktails. But you go in and they have unbelievable selections of all kinds of whiskeys, all kinds of gins. I had a brand new gin last night, and and I had some whiskey. How did I mix those two? I did, but listen, believe me, I didn't drink a whole lot of uh, cigars and and watched uh, Dr. DePuty lose some money at poker, and Mike is a great guy. Jen, the bartender there, was fabulous. Met a lot of great people out there. I'll talk more about this because they're going to be kind of the official cigar bar, official cocktail bar of Radio Free Almond, and we're actually going to have Radio Free Almond cigars for you guys eventually. So it's uh, it was a great time and had a really wonderful uh, vibe there, and I'm glad you all are with me this morning because I've got bells on too. i got enough sleep. Don't worry about that. I was taking good care of myself because uh, I'm rocking and rolling this morning with a few things. First of all, the FBI investigation. That FBI investigation, by the way, is – a good one only because there was one thing you have to understand is it backfired on Peter Strzok and the rest of the gang. All They didn't say this explicitly in the report, but this is the truth about the FBI investigation and the Hillary Clinton emails. This is the truth about what really went down here. And you have to understand that Comey, when he – wrote that letter and announced that thing just days before the election, that didn't have to go that way. It wasn't going to go that way. And even if it did affect the election, it was beautiful because it backfired on the very people who didn't want Hillary to lose. Now, bear with me just a little bit. I'm not going to get into it too much because you guys have heard exhaustively about this FBI thing, but I'm not quite sure it was put to you in this fashion, and I'll be brief with it because, well, I have to attack Nancy Pelosi. So this is really what I got to get to her. But in order to get to her, I got to go through this FBI thing first. Peter Strzok knew about the Wiener emails, the Hillary Clinton emails on the Wiener laptop, was going to look at this and investigate it a little bit further, but sat on it. And the reason he sat on it is because he wanted to, and this is my opinion, though, but there's no other conclusion that can be reached as far as I'm concerned when you look at all the details of this thing. He sat on the emails and sat on the computer and waited. And and because he wanted to delay this until after the election, if they were going to deal with it at all. So he sat on the emails, sat on the computer, because he was trying to stall. Peter Strzok, big Hillary fan. By the way, I'm trying to figure out what, did, what was it about Hillary Clinton that this guy was so crazed about? 
It's so weird. It's it, to tell you the truth, it's weird anyway to have. I don't know. I, I, I listen. In all due respect to Mark Kaysen, who is uh, over thirty, but and, and I don't mean to disparage people and liberals and things like that. But to me, if you're over thirty and you're still a liberal, there's something wrong with you, man. You either haven't lived, you haven't paid any bills, you don't have a decent job or something. But to be over 30 is the weirdest and liberal. It's just the strangest damn thing to me. And, I mean, I understand people who have their things, but I see these guys out there with those, you know, that that new that look that the uh, liberal guys have. It's a GQ look. It's it's the and, I, and nothing wrong with GQ magazine because everybody needs to know it needs to be told by a bunch of New York liberal guys how to dress. That's where we got the that's where we got the brown shoes with the blue suit, by the way, from GQ magazine. You could thank them for that. But you know that the, the look I, I think it's kind of gone away a little bit. But there's a look, and the. It's the the jeans, and they look brand new, and it, and they're cuffed, like the cuffed jeans. So they're they're blue jeans that are cuffed. You seen those? And then they they wear these shoes, these 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 like these these uh, lace up shoes or what? I don't know, you know, regular leather shoes. But they're blue jeans that are cuffed. Then they wear the checkered shirt. And then you're a liberal dude out of GQ magazine. That's, that's a new look, but I can't figure that out. But anyway, if you're over 30 and you're a guy and you're liberal, I, I, don't, I question your sanity. So this Peter Strzok dude's an FBI agent. This guy's in law enforcement. And if you're in law enforcement and you're liberal, that I can't believe. What you all see on a regular basis out there in the streets, how could you possibly – support the economic policies and the law policies of of liberals how could you possibly support that because all you're seeing is the result on the street i don't get it anyway peter struck is a liberal fbi agent looks like he's about mid 40s has an affair with this chick there in the fbi who's now gone and loves hillary clinton you know that already just hates Trump so much that he that that uh, that it turns into love for Hillary Clinton. So he is in possession of these these uh, emails and of, of Weiner's computer, and is, is in possession of all this and sits on it because he is trying to stall out, wait it out, wait out the election. Doesn't want to really see what's in the on the emails and what's inside of this thing. And so he decides to stall. Well, unfortunately, what happens is they have some kind of meeting and they determine that there are Hillary Clinton emails on there and there are Hillary Clinton emails on this thing and they determine that, yeah, they're there and then Comey has to put this out. But the problem is, Strzok stalled, they had this computer and then suddenly they find out but he didn't. The stall didn't work. 
because they found out just days before the election. And Comey had to say something at that point. And if Strzok had his way, they would have, they would have basically hid these, these emails for a while and just let the election blow over and there wouldn't have been a peep out of them. But they went ahead and did it anyway and found out. And that's why Comey was forced to say something about it. And thus, the days before the election announcement. So in the end, this was kind of all Strzok's fault. Because he, his, his plan, his plot to kind of just not do anything about the emails wound up not working. His stall didn't work. And then they discovered these things and Comey had to say something. So that's really what, that's the crux of this story right now is that it's a struck attempt to manipulate the election by hiding these emails, the existence of the emails, and yet it backfired on them because he waited, but somebody discovered them and he had to say something at that point, Comey did, and that's why you had the announcement. So it turns out Comey made the announcement and it was something he had to do. It wasn't really necessarily Comey's choice. Now, Comey could have hit it, but that would have caused more problems. So he had to do it. But the problem is, had Comey found out, had they found out about these emails that Strzok was trying to hide or sit on and not investigate, had they, had they found this out uh, a month before when they actually had the computer already, and were notified of it, this would have come out a month before the election. And it probably wouldn't have had the difference, if it had any difference at all, in the election that it did. And I'm not quite sure even had a, it was that big of a difference. I still believe by that time, people had already made up their minds. There wasn't anything that was going to happen regarding, these, uh, regarding Hillary Clinton that was going to change anybody's mind. By that time, days before the election... There were, I mean, to me, were there people out there kind of on the fence, ready to vote for Hillary Clinton, and then suddenly they, they see this Comey announcement, and they're like, okay, well, then I'm going to vote for Trump. I just, I, I don't see that happening. I, I don't see how somebody was going to vote for Hillary, Comey comes out there days before the election, and then a Hillary supporter moves into a Trump supporter. Now, I guess there's a possibility that somebody could get this information, see this information, and then decide that they're just not going to vote or they're just going to vote for uh, Johnson or whatever the hell's name was. Someone like that. I I don't know. There's a chance somebody just said, oh, forget it. I'm not going to vote at all. And therefore, Hillary didn't get the vote that she had. But, but, But the idea of this thing changing votes is really a far-fetched concept as far as I'm concerned and probably not something that I really, uh, really believe in. I don't see many people switching their votes at the last minute. So the opt-out factor might have been there, but I don't think they switched votes at the last minute. What do you guys think? Amy. Hi, Amy Eichmann. They were all protecting Hillary from espionage charges because intent is not a consideration in the... uh, in those cases, they want to go on like it didn't happen. It's really simple. Absolutely, Amy. They, they didn't know, or maybe they did know, but they knew the perils of uncovering these emails in Wiener's computer, and that's why Strzok sat on it. But it backfired on him because he sat on it, but 
somebody found out about him and they went managed to 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 find them and then they had to say something about it. So the stall backfired. Good morning this morning from the Discovery Design Studios here in beautiful downtown The Hill, as they call it, Kings Highway and Shaw, and we're hanging out here. I'm flying solo just for a little bit. Uh, Suzanne Vanker's going to be in at 7 o'clock, and Gia Valenti is going to be in, and, 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 and to me, Gia, if you're listening or you're out there, uh, you will get the award for being up really late with Bob Gibson and I think Tony LaRusso was there too. The heck were you doing there? Looked like Napoli. And I just don't know how I don't know how she's gonna do it, but it will we're gonna uh, call it the Gia Challenge. You see Nancy Pelosi when she was at the prayer breakfast, and this was the Hispanic prayer breakfast. And it's really funny how there are people out there who uh I'm going to get through this commercial. Oh, there's a a gun there. Oh, that's pretty cool. Oh, ammo. Frontier ammo. Nice. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I know, man. Loaded with Hornaday bullets. Nice. They're shooting like... Wow. Frontier cartridges. That's awesome that they have a bullet commercial on YouTube or whatever it is right before the Nancy Pelosi prayer breakfast thing. That was great. It's these guys shooting M5s and stuff. I don't know what kind of guns they were. I, didn't, I couldn't tell. I was so so busy loving the loving the sight of the bullets. Hornet bullets. These guys, this, this, is, this is a miracle. It's a miracle of irony. I wonder if I could duplicate that. Let me see if I can duplicate this. If, if they'll play that again, if I if I just re re reboot this thing. Oh yeah, they do. This is this is the this is the. I wish you guys could see what I'm seeing. Here here you here you can see what I'm seeing. If you go to Breitbart.com and you uh, and you see uh, and you see the Nancy Pelosi Hispanic prayer breakfast bit at Breitbart.com. If you click on the video, you know how annoying sometimes these commercials are before a a video you're going to see on YouTube. But this is amazing because what happens is, and you guys who are in the gun world know a little bit about Frontier cartridges and Hornaday bullets. And you guys know what I'm talking about. But how crazy is it that right before... We are treated to Nancy Pelosi's blathering at this prayer breakfast that I'm going to get to in a second. We have this commercial for Frontier Cartridges. So right before we see a video of this gun-grabbing, left-wing, horrible woman, we get to see a commercial. These guys out at this range, and they're, actually what they're doing is they're shooting into a hill. So they got their table out there. They've got what look like, I guess they look like M5s or AR-15s maybe. And they've got, they've got a table out there that has a bunch of uh, bullets and cartridges on it. And they're all just shooting into this hill. Right before, we, right before we see a video of Nancy Pelosi. How rich is that? Can you, can, you, can you do that on purpose or are all these commercials random? You, you, so 
Okay, so they can spot. Man, I'm talking to Matt here. They can sponsor these. Okay, so it might be that they purposely sponsored this particular Nancy Pelosi thing, right? So it's just not a random commercial out there. Wow, <laughs> I love it. Love it. Well, listen to the commercial. <laughs> it's not. There's no words at all. It's just gunfire. Dudes shooting into a hill with their awesome semi-automatic rifles and just words up on the screen telling us about the awesome bullets that they're using. Frontier. Because you like bullets. 5.56 NATO. (laughs) Loaded with Hornaday bullets. Hollow point match. They're just shooting into this targets on a hill. Frontier cartridges. And then you see Nancy Pelosi. It doesn't get any better than this, everybody. All right, so now let's go on to uh, Nancy Pelosi at the prayer breakfast. Let's see. No problem. No, no, Nancy Pelosi would, yeah, Chris. Nancy Pelosi would lose her mind if she knew that a Frontier commercial was before her babbling. You are right, but this is rich. All right, one more time, okay? Just one more time, please, because I just, I just, this is too much for me to handle in terms of the joy. <laughs> they take their cartridges out again, fill them up with more Frontier. Yes, two twenty-three, two two-three, baby. They're having a good old time, these guys. <laughs> oh. The census ends to DACA <laughs> and the elimination of temporary protests. Oh, I love that. I'll, I guess I could put it up in the, in the comments section, but look, it's, a, it's on Breitbart if you really want to see it. But anyway, on to Nancy Pelosi. So here she is. Status for hundreds of thousands of law-abiding immigrants. First of all, she looks, and I don't really, I don't really mean to, I don't really want to go into her physical, I, that's, not, that's not my thing, but she looks like she's, first of all, hasn't slept in days, and secondly, she's reading from this piece of paper. She doesn't even look like she means what she's saying. And, oh, Dan wants to know if there's any other way to listen other than through Facebook. Yeah, Danny, if you've got an app, if you've got a Google or Android, then it's in the Google App Store. And if you have an iPhone, it's in the, uh, in the App Store. And it's, it's Radio Free Almond. Type it in there. There's a, little bit of, there's a little circle there that is app. Download it. Click that every morning, 6 a.m., and you have, you have it on. It's, it's a radio. You're... Uh, it's 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 your your phone becomes your radio. It's that simple, buddy. But yeah, so you can listen through Facebook. Uh, you can also, you know, some people have the Facebook up on the phone and then listen to it that way. So they just have the phone up there and they're listening to it that way, like like it's a radio too. Because the same thing you're hearing on the radio or on through the app is the same thing you're hearing on the Facebook page. See, it's that simple. Listen to me, L- acting like I know something about this stuff. Technology. 
I'm just trying to remember what Ryan said. Let's see, the, the new Facebook, and then you do this. And then, see, I got, I got the rap all down. So Nancy Pelosi looks like she's just out of her element there, and she's shuffling papers around. It's kind of like me. I'm like, I'm like, this is my microphone. This is Nancy Pelosi talking to the Hispanic prayer breakfast. And she's like, well, and then I, yeah. Uh, to the barbaric and unacceptable policy of ripping children from the arms of their parents. Ripping children from the arms of their parents. Have you seen any video at all, any pictures at all of anybody ripping children from the arms of their parents? I mean, this is just absolute dishonesty here. Ripping children from the arms of their parents. You know, I understand hyperbole. I understand how people speak. But to me, because I'm into accuracy, having once been accused by four or five major daily newspapers have threatened to to sexually assault David Hogg. I'm a little bit of a stickler when it comes to accuracy and being accurate in what you say. It's one thing to use hyperbole. It's another thing to just simply make stuff up. And exaggeration is sometimes a means of conversation. I get it. People exaggerate. But nonetheless, in a matter of import like this, where you are the minority leader, you are an elected representative of Congress, you are one of the top Democrats in Congress, you're speaking to a Hispanic group of individuals at a prayer breakfast, by the way. So, I don't know what part of thou shalt not lie Nancy Pelosi didn't quite get out of her biblical studies, which I doubt she did, and I don't blame her. I'm not a biblical scholar either. But what part of thou shalt not lie do you not get when you go before a group of people and you purposely lie about what's happening? There has not been one instance that I have been able to see, whether it be in a video, in a picture, anything, of anybody from the United States border agency or police ripping children from the arms of their parents. Not one. So you have Nancy Pelosi, top Democrat, in front of a bunch of Hispanic leaders and Hispanic people at a prayer breakfast Lying. That's nice. Yeah. At the border, barbaric. At yeah. It's, it's looking at the camera. You believe that? Can you believe that, people? They're ripping children from the arms of the parents. You believe that? You understand what they're doing there? And she's like looking out, out into the audience, and it's, it's so manipulative and evil to sit there in front of these people, and they're, they're not dumb. They know she's full of crap, most of them do. But the others are like, yeah, right, they're ripping children from the arms of their parents. You're right, white lady, old white lady. Lie to us some more. Okay, I'll do that. Here we go. That's not American. No. It's not faith-based. No, it's not, it's not faith-based at all. Now, here's the other thing that Nancy Pelosi is I guess thinking that should be done, that law enforcement and enforcement of our borders 
ought to be faith-based. Gee whiz, I'm not even 22 seconds into this babbling. This is the, no wonder that the commercial was a bunch of guys shooting at a hill and targets because going after Nancy Pelosi is like shooting fish in a barrel. The only better commercial that would be better before this Nancy Pelosi blathering if these guys were actually shooting fish in a barrel. Because that's how easy it is to dismantle what Nancy Pelosi is doing here. <laughs> it, this, that's how easy this is. In the first 22 seconds of her blathering, she has lied at a prayer breakfast and then declared that law enforcement ought to be faith-based. Now, imagine a, a person from the Republican Party. Now, we should be uh, enforcing the law with a faith, faith-based solution. It's like, oh, people would go crazy. Because aren't these the same people going, separation of church and state? You can't infuse religion into your operations. Religion doesn't belong in the public square. And look what she just did there. She wants, she wants law enforcement to be faith-based. Let's go back. Let me go back and hear that again. It's not faith-based. Barbaric. That's not American. It's not faith-based. Yeah, it's not faith-based. Can you imagine if you, if you out there as conservatives go on Facebook and say, we need more faith-based law enforcement? You know, you, you, you would be eaten alive on your Facebook pages. Nancy Pelosi, it's irresponsible for her to be sitting, standing in front of Hispanic leaders, lying to them, manipulating them, and misrepresenting what this country is all about in terms of how it enforces laws and all that kind of thing, all at a prayer breakfast. Surprised you didn't burst into flames. To them. See, she was waiting for this applause. So she looks like she's about to throw up. I'm, 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 and again, I'm not, I don't like the whole physical thing. I don't really like to make fun of people based on their physical beings, but there's something not right about this. To the, to the deep. Listen, I respect the Hispanic population like I respect the black population, like I respect the white population, everything else. But if you're an American and you're clapping at what is purported to be faith-based law enforcement and then followed uh, that, that before that she lied about ripping children from the arms of parents to get to her faith-based law enforcement. If you're an American clapping, you don't understand this country at all and what this country is founded on. And yes, <clears throat> is it founded on Judeo-Christian values? Absolutely. Values. But, and, and are some of our laws, like, oh, laws uh, against murder, those kind of things, would that be considered faith-based? I guess. Technically, but this is ridiculous what she's talking about here, enforcing our border with a faith-based approach. Because let me tell you something, if you really did it on a faith-based approach, people, how godly is it to go ahead, let people come into this country illegally, become part of a subculture of people who aren't 
tied to this country in any way except maybe by a paycheck if they're getting one and allowing them to wander around and live in the shadows only to be manipulated by white people like Nancy Pelosi. How godly and faith-based is that when you encourage this nomadic existence of families that really don't have any ownership or stake in the country in which they're living, where they are not stakeholders, they are not citizens, they can't vote, they can't call the police when they are attacked, robbed, raped, whatever, because they're afraid of being exposed as being here illegally as illegal aliens. How faith-based is that kind of policy where you're allowing that to happen to another human being and indeed even encouraging it through sanctuary cities? So if we we want to get into the argument about what's faith-based and what's religious and what is godly, certainly an open borders immigration policy is completely antithetical to looking out for the human condition and our fellow human beings. And I could make the argument that promoting legal immigration is in fact more godly than promoting illegal aliens. Because at that point, you are leaving people in a country completely untethered, completely exposed in in, in ways that make them vulnerable to people who will prey on them. Do we even know how many individuals out there are simply just simply living a life of victimhood because if they came forward, they'd be deported. Now, that's not the problem with the law. That's a problem with them being here illegally to begin with. So to me, the people who are least living in the reflection of Jesus are the people who are encouraging nomads and individuals who have no ties to a country and are just wandering around taking odd jobs when they can, doing this, doing that, and living a life in peril because they just don't, they can't can't take advantage of most of the kinds of things that other people can take advantage of as citizens. Even voting, even having some stake in in the voting populace. So that was was easy. Deportation dragnet. That is being thrown (laughs) over our cities and communities. The deportation dragnet. Boy, she's, She's, she's got it all going on today. Splitting families. We must have a call to action. That people of faith must weigh in. People of faith must weigh in. I lo- oh, and then, by the way, then it goes, hold on, did that, did that just go back to the commercial afterwards? <laughs> I still can't get over this commercial that goes on before her the video we have to do more of this people we have to encourage ammo companies to buy more of these ads before a left wing gun grabber speaks (laughs) I love this my favorite part of the morning the best part of waking up are, are bullets in your ear well at least on on the internet. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? The best part of waking up. 
looks like they're shooting this stuff in the morning, too. Looks like they got up in the morning, went out there with their Hornaday bullets, their Frontier ammo, <laughs> loaded up their AR-15s or whatever those are, M5s. Just started blasting into a hill on targets. From the census end to DACA <laughs> and the elimination All right, so let me go to the, let me go to the tail end here. Splitting families. We must have a call to action that people of faith must weigh in. Yeah. It's funny how she says people of faith must weigh in. Now, keep in mind, this is a liberal Democrat who doesn't really like people of faith weighing in when it's people of faith weighing in, for instance, on abortion, when it's people of faith weighing in even on illegal aliens. And what I just did as a person of faith, I weighed in, and I said it's absolutely ungodly and a-religious to encourage a subculture of people who just come to the United States and hide. That's my faith-based opinion. But do you think Nancy Pelosi welcomes my faith-based opinion there, the, 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 the people of faith? Because as far as I know, every time a person of faith that is a conservative opens their mouth, they're told to pound sand by people like Nancy Pelosi. They're told their opinion isn't, isn't wanted. When people of faith weigh in, oh, like, let's put it this way. Did you see what happened when the cake maker, who was a person of faith, weighed in on the request to make a cake for a gay couple getting married? When that person of faith weighed in, he wound up having his business shut down. It went all the way to the Supreme Court when a person of faith weighed in. When a person of faith weighs in, for instance, on abortion and says, you know what, maybe our tax dollars shouldn't be used to promote abortions by funding Planned Parenthood. When people of faith weigh in on that, what do you think Nancy Pelosi says to them? Oh, no, you can't do that because uh, we're, we have freedom of choice. Oh, okay, gotcha. So once again, as we have seen time and time again with the left wing, what is good for them is not good for other people who might be in a different area than they are. So for all of Nancy Pelosi's preaching here at this Hispanic prayer breakfast where she breaks one of the Ten Commandments and tells a lie, first of all, right off the bat, she tells a lie about the grabbing children from the arms of parents. But this is what we're getting from the left is this world where only they can exercise their faith. Only they can demand accountability from this person or that person. So their world is a really easy one to live in because on the one hand, they can easily, because the media isn't going to hold Nancy Pelosi to account regarding her faith-based comments and, and how laws ought to be faith-based. Man, if this were a Republican talking about faith-based laws, he'd be, he'd be run out of Dodge. But that's the world we live in. That's the world that Nancy Pelosi lives in. That's the world that the news media live in. Like, for instance, uh, you see the Sarah Huckabee Sanders debacle yesterday in the White House briefing room. 
And to me, and I, I don't really, I'm not a big, I'm not a person who plays the sexist card. But I just want to present to you this possibility. That let's say that it was a female who was a White House press secretary. Oh, by the way, they said, Sarah, remember the news that Sarah Huckabee Sanders was leaving? Yeah. She's not, by the way. That was a, another lie. Another piece of wishful thinking from the news media, I guess. Because she regularly rides them like rented mules there in the White House briefing room. She has them so outsmarted, so outgunned intellectually, and it drives them crazy. And I think, to tell you the truth, and, I, and, I, and again, I don't always like to pull the sexist card here, but I actually think that they're only doing this because she's a woman. That they're intimidated by her because some of these guys, and indeed some of these women, and especially April Ryan, the black chick from Urban Radio or whatever it is, they're very intimidated by Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And I do believe, actually, because it's a woman. But now I have to tell you, though, they treated Sean Spicer the same way. So my guess is it's probably because it's more because she is representing representing President Trump than anything else. So I'm not going to make too much of the sexism angle. But you have to admit that some of these people are taking liberties that I believe they necessarily wouldn't take with another administration and with perhaps other types of people. Sean Spicer uh, was kind of eaten alive because he left himself vulnerable because he wasn't always emotionally in control of the room. And unfortunately, with sociopaths there, they'll spy somebody they can take advantage of right away, and that's all they do. They live their lives like that. Journalists are in, in the news media some of the highest level functioning sociopaths you're going to find anywhere in the land. If you go to Potosi, the maximum security prison down there, it's filled with sociopaths. But there are people who actually were not high level functioning sociopaths because they were not able to kind of work things out to where they could manipulate it long enough to where they did. They, they were, they just went crazy. But these folks at the White House press room are, are high-level sociopaths. And what they do is they, 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 they seek out vulnerabilities in people. That, that's why, for instance, you get – I'm getting too into the weeds on this one. But I, mean, I, was, I was in the media uh, on TV once. And there's a reason why when you go to – when you watch TV, if you do watch the news at all, how you – when you see these people being interviewed, like like you see somebody being interviewed like right after their husband gets killed or something or, or, or right. I mean, that's the first thing the media does. They go down to some crime scene and start interviewing relatives of somebody who was just murdered. And of course, these, these, these people, you're always wondering, have you ever wondered when you're watching the news or when you did watch the news? Like, how is it that these people are talking? How, what, how is it possible that these people are chatting right now? And I realize there's a certain element to, I don't want this to happen to anybody else. And so they sit down on a couch, they do the interview, I get it. But for the most part, it's a little known secret in the media business that, that there are people who believe that they have to speak to the media. 
and the media is more than happy to take advantage of that. The media is more than happy to take advantage of the vulnerabilities of traumatized individuals. I mean, it's really weird. I, I, I'll get into it sometime in, in more in-depth, but, but that is true. I've been there. I know it. Um, I didn't cover a whole lot of crime, thank goodness. I, 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 the reason why I became an investigative reporter, uh, essentially, is just to avoid being assigned stupid stories by people. It, it, I was, it, was, it was self-preservation. And plus, I also had better ideas. So the people who don't have better ideas are the ones standing out there in front of a mobile home that just burned to the ground. Those are the, those are the people who didn't have better ideas when they came in in the morning. Normally, now there are the workhorses out there. One of the best crime reporters around is a guy named Ray Preston over there at KMOV TV, and uh, Ray—that's what he loves to do. That and he's good at it. That's what he—that's what he does. And it's not because Ray doesn't have a better idea. It's because that's kind of his thing. His—that's how he does it. He does it well. And so when there's a crime or there's this this happening, they get Ray Ray out there, and Ray knows doesn't miss a beat. I'm talking about just some of the other people who are out there and they're, you know, standing in front of crime scene tape. That just means you didn't have a better idea when you came in. That's how it works, baby, in the business. That's how it all works. Anyway, back to Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, Good morning this morning, Bill. How you doing? Hi, Debbie. Hi, Jimmy. What's going on with all y'all? Hi, Paula. Hi, Dr. Naputi, she says. Hi, Dr. Naputi. Where's Dr. Naputi? Are you on here, Dr. Naputi? I had a great time last night. Oh, this is just, it was a fabulous, I'll talk more about this. We smoked some cigars and we had some fabulous whiskey and I even had some fabulous gin all at the same time. And this was at one of our brand new partners in indulgence, cigars and cocktails. And it's Santino's Cigars and Cocktails right there in Arnold. And we are going to get Mike out to your neck of the woods sooner rather than later when it comes to some of the best cigars. And and we always like to use the moniker, he has your bottle. Meaning if you have a favorite liquor, favorite whiskey, favorite gin, favorite vodka, favorite tequila. Actually, he has his own line of tequila that actually was pretty good too. And you will absolutely love uh, Santino's. And so we're, he's in Arnold right now. I encourage you to go down there. It's really easy to get to. I'll give you an example. Um, I was in De Pere. I was at the MAC, had some stuff to do out there. And that is, as you guys know, out at 270 and De Pere Road. And it's in West County. So I'm tracking kind of late. And I say to Dr. Naputi, uh, hey man, I, I don't know how, you know, it was like 6.15 and I, w- I was going to be there by 6.30 and I, had, I, I got late, got delayed and I, I panicked because there I am at 270 and Manchester basically in West St. Louis County and I got to get to Arnold and it's 6 o'clock and you know how it is on 270 South traffic plus it's raining and when it rains in St. Louis, People drive 10 miles an hour. That's just the, that's just the way it is. And, and, and also, there's an automatic thing in St. Louis where if a raindrop hits your windshield, your brakes automatically apply. That's just how it works. The cars are in St. Louis are manufactured that way or something is going on because every time it rains, 
pushing on about pedals. The, the key to driving in the rain is just keep going. Don't worry about it. But everybody's, oh, I got to stop. It's raining. Oh, yeah. Just calm, people. Anyway, so at that point, I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. It's, I'm not going to be there until a quarter to seven. And it, it, I'm going to be late and everything else. So I put on my little uh, GPS or whatever they call it. And I, uh, I, put that, I put the address of Santino's there. And the address, by the way, is uh, 3868 Vogel Road. I put Santino's address in there, and it's 15 minutes away. I'm like, huh, I'm going to be on time for once in my life. I'm going to actually be at a place when I tell somebody I'm going to be there, which is a miracle in the, in the world of Almond. Believe me. Ask anybody who knows me. And so I was amazed. So even if you're in West County, now imagine you're in St. Charles, then it's 25 minutes away. It's like really easy to get to. But eventually, we're going to get Mike Santino and the crew to build something out there where you guys are. But we're going to have him in next week. We're going to talk to him. He's a great guy. Dr. Deputy is the one who hooked me up with him. He's going to be a sponsor of the show. He's going to make the official Radio Free Almond cigar for you. And I went down there, and he has the Pappy Van Winkle whiskey, which is fantastic. And I, I had the High West Yippee Kaye, which was great last night. Beautiful, really just sweet, lovely, beautiful whiskey. Then I tried a little bit of his, uh, his tequila that he made. I just had a little bit. And then I tried his uh, – let me get the label on here. It was a lot of fun. I'm gonna put, I need to put pictures up on the Facebook page. I will today. I had Monkey 47 Gin. And you guys are thinking, Almond, what the hell, dude? You, you, have, you had tequila, gin, and whiskey? What's wrong with you? I just had little taste, people. It was, it was a little tasting. I wanted to see what Santino's was all about and see what they were doing there. And it was a fun time. Uh, and so I, I, so I, was, I was good. Smoked some cigars, some, smoked some Cubans, and, and uh, it was fine. Got to bed early, fresh and clean, no, well, plenty of caffeine, and look at how sprightly I am. Amazing. And after a night at Santino's, that's what your life will be like, too, someday. Where was I? Oh, so Sarah Huckabee Sanders. So she, to me, and we'll, I'll play this on, on the other side of here because I need to, uh, well, no, I'll play it now. What am I doing? Suzanne Vanker's supposed to be in, too. She's, I'm, I'm kind of running solo. It's kind of fun, actually, um, just to kind of be hanging out here with you guys. Not that I don't like other people in the, in the place with me. I'm just saying. Why am I qualifying everything I'm saying? I don't need to do that. There we go. Put the comments back. Santino's. Yeah, uh, I used to be Tony Twist Cigar Bar. Right. The only thing I didn't do last night, which I really feel bad about, because Naputi picked up the tab, Dr. Naputi did, is I Jen, who's a wonderful bartender out there, uh, she wanted a picture, and I, I, um, I did a, a FaceTime with one of her friends who's a big fan of the show, Michelle, and so we, we, I was just in this commotion world, and so I didn't, um, I didn't give Jen a tip. So I got to go back there. So I, I just, I just, I was on, I was, I was late, I was rushing out. I did so. I need to go back there, and so Jen, I'm giving you. Uh, don't worry, I, I'll take care of you. I normally don't do that. I'm always really good at that. Even if somebody picks up the tab, I have them run like a dollar on a credit card and put it, put a tip on that. So, uh, wasn't at the top of my game 
when it comes to tipping. All right, so here's what happened with Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday. And I do believe because she is a conservative woman, she's treated differently than she would be if she were a liberal woman. That's all it is. I don't really try, I don't play the whole sexism game a lot. I'm not too much into that whole thing and, and trying to, you know, oh, it's because he's black. Oh, it's because he's a woman. But I think this is pretty clear that that Sarah Huckabee Sanders is treated differently because she is a conservative woman. A conservative woman who also happens to be from the South and who also happens to be living rent-free in the brains of pretty much every single one of these people and who also actually enjoys riding these poor saps like a bunch of rented mules. And she's really good at it. And they do not like that. They do not like that at all. They do not stomach that in any way, shape, or form at all, people. And so this guy, he is, um, it's, it's another one of these guys who I've never heard of, all right? And this is a guy who is a an CNN analyst. His name is Brian Karam. Uh, and and he, for whatever reason, why he's in this room is beyond me. Because he's a he's a CNN analyst. I mean, uh, listen, I understand working journalists are working journalists, and yeah, okay. But why is there a CNN analyst in there? So anyway, he's in the room, and he decides that uh, to to take on the the Nancy Pelosi rap. Because suddenly, all the people on the left suddenly are very religious. It's kind of interesting how they're all very religious when it comes to, like, for instance, Nancy Pelosi saying, we need faith-based immigration enforcement. What the hell does that mean? And I made the argument earlier, for those of you who are just hopping on, I made the argument earlier that I do believe illegal alien propagation is absolutely antithetical to any religious values. When you purposely create a subculture of potentially abused, low-wage workers who can't even call the police because they're illegal here, there's nothing faith-based about that policy at all. There's nothing humane about that policy at all. Anyway. This Brian Karam guy goes up there, and they're all yelling. They're all yelling at Sarah Huckabee Sanders. They're all going crazy. Again, this would never happen, in my opinion, if she were with the Obama administration or if she were a liberal white dude or whatever, uh, would never get this kind of treatment. But she did. Boy, listen listen to these people. They're they're like uh, Democrats want to get serious about it instead of playing political games. They're welcome to come here and sit down with the president and actually do something about it. Jill, don't you have any empathy? Jill, go ahead. Come on, Sarah. You're a parent. Don't you have any empathy for what these people are going through? They have less than you do. Sarah, come on. Settle down. Seriously. I'm trying to be serious, but I'm not going to have you, you yell out a turn. Jill, please call. It's a law, and, and they have, th- these people have nothing. They hey, Ryan, I know you want to get some more TV it's time, but that's that, not what this is about. about if I want to recognize you, question, go ahead, Sarah. Jill. Honestly, answer the question. It's a serious question. These people have nothing. They come to the border with nothing, and you throw children in cages. You're a parent. You're a parent of young children. Don't you have any empathy for what they go through? So... First of all, a white liberal male would never get that question anyway, even though white liberal males, many of them are parents too. 
So what is it about the you're a parent thing that they decided they'd pull on Sarah Huckabee Sanders when they wouldn't do that with a white liberal male? Father, for instance. They wouldn't they wouldn't do that in any way, shape, or form. So so again, they're picking on her because she's a mom. And they're making a big deal of that whole thing and trying to guilt her into promoting liberal, lax immigration policies that, in fact, harm more people than help more people. Because to me, it's harmful for another human being to come to another place and not have any stake in their community and have to be in the shadows. The very fact that even liberals use the term in the shadows – That's inhumane. That's not having any empathy at all for the human condition. That's inhumane to live in the shadows. And that doesn't mean we automatically make them legal. But to me, promoting strong immigration policies is absolutely humane, absolutely godlike, absolutely respectful of our fellow human beings. And to promote this loose, itinerant subculture of people is wrong on any level of humanity. And by the way, empathy, it's kind of like when, when, when some of these reporters decided they were going to call on the Statue of Liberty when, when the Trump administration announced a decision to stop accepting people from terrorist nations. And never mind that that you as a president of the United States have enormous powers. Sometimes these powers will make you very uncomfortable because technically when you get right down to it, the president, if he doesn't want redheads in this country, he can ban them. That then, of course, would be a monstrosity because – well, at least redheaded women, you, 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 you know, to ban them from coming into the country would be tor- terrible, as great as redheads are. But anyway, but he can do that if he wanted to. He could, he could, he could ban people with blue eyes. That's how, that's how strong the president's immigration uh, policies when, when it comes to who, he, who comes in and who doesn't. That's how strong his, his power is. And Congress gave it to him. So ask them about it, not me. But anyway, so when the president decided he was going to limit the number of people coming like from these blank holes like Yemen or, you know, all the diversity visas and all those kind of things from terrorist countries, there were people, including Jim Acosta and others, who sat there and pointed to the Statue of Liberty and said, wait a minute, the Statue of Liberty says blah, 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 blah. And that's the common mistake that many journalists make when they are simpletons or when they are liberal and don't like stronger immigration policies, they point to the Statue of Liberty. Now, the Statue of Liberty is a wonderful thing, gifted to us by the French, and it's a beautiful emblem of freedom, and it's a beautiful reflection of the generosity of the American spirit, which is why it was given to us, because the French dug that about us. And that is something that we can defend time and time again. And without apology, what this country has done for the rest of the world. All you have to do 
is go to the, go to Normandy. Go to the graveyards in Normandy and see all of the American graves. And that tells you everything you need to know about whether or not this country needs to apologize for its role in the world. But the Statue of Liberty, as beautiful as it is, and as beautiful as the inscription is, and as beautiful as an emblem it is of our largesse, our generosity, our openness, it is not our Constitution, and it is not our law. And journalists, simpletons, who want it to be, can talk all they want about that, but it's, that, that is not the law of the land. The law of the land, the Constitution says that we have, that the, that the powers of the federal government are to enforce its borders and develop a military for the defense of its people, regulate commerce. There are very few enumerated powers, and one of them is to decide who comes here and who doesn't. Now, I guess we could adopt the laws of Mexico when it comes to immigration and have everybody who comes here, like they do in Mexico, if you want to migrate to Mexico or go to, go to Mexico and become a citizen there, I don't know why you would, but if you wanted to, go there. Mexico would make you prove that you make money, that you have a job. Mexico would make you prove that you will improve their society. They make you do that. We don't even do that. So these journalists out there who are talking about self-congratulatory means of talking about empathy and faith-based laws and everything else, it's ridiculous, and it's ridiculous on its face. But in their world, it's perfectly normal. Nancy Pelosi, and I played that for you earlier, complete with the, man, I just can't make enough of that, that ammunition commercial right before her YouTube video. Man, is that great? We, we need to do, we, you ammo guys need to do more of that. But uh, right before that, with Nancy Pelosi, she talked about we need more faith-based, uh, faith-based enforcement of our immigration laws. I'm thinking, wait a minute. And again, if, if you dared say we need more faith-based approaches to our abortion laws, how far do you think you'd get with that? They interviewed the, actually Karim uh, on the air. They, they were they looking were, they at your body them. language, the way you were talking there. Obviously, you made it personal talking about Sanders being a mother to young children. But yeah, so he's being congratulated on CNN after that display, and now it's become a situation where uh, you, you know we've seen this in society all all throughout society now. When you're on an airplane and you don't get your way, you go ape and cause a problem and your video goes viral. Everybody feels like it's all about them and they could just simply erupt in a social situation whenever they want to because, after all, they feel a certain way. So they're entitled to be disruptive. They're entitled to be self-absorbed. They're entitled to be, uh, that, that make it all about them. And our society gradually, and we'll talk to Suzanne Vanker about this as we, as we go on, because she's, she's in the uh, green room, and I'll, I'll get to that, because I need to get to the national anthem and one of my favorite Yes songs, and then we'll, we'll get to her. But this society has been developed into just a, a, a hotbed of these whiny, outbursty babies. And now you're seeing it in the White House press room right now. 
You see April Ryan going crazy, yelling and screaming, t- interrupting, taking, a, taking a, uh, advantage of a question, even interrupting her own colleagues. And, she's, she, and then you know what happens? She winds up on CNN being congratulated by Don Lemon. Hey, way to go. You need a, it gives her a golf clap and everything. By the way, speaking of golf, you see Tiger Woods? What's up with him? I saw him miss a three-foot putt yesterday. What's he doing? Anyway, so then you have this guy, Karam, in the middle of a, standing up, yelling and screaming. It wasn't even his turn. And he said he's going to make a big speech in the, in the White House briefing room. And then, 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 of course, he's, again, on the next day or the next hour or whatever, he's on a CNN panel being congratulated with how, for how brave he is. I guess, I, when are they going to use the term truth to power? Because that's, that's, that's next. But that's the world we live in. And that's our culture now. And it's seeped into just regular interactions between the media and the White House press secretary. And I do believe it's, it's because she is a... And, and this guy has some nerve, man, trying, trying, to, trying to take advantage and, and, and exploit the fact that she's a mom to make her feel bad about Im, our immigration policies. And by the way, Nancy Pelosi said to the Hispanic prayer breakfast when she broke one of the Ten Commandments and lied that they're ripping children out of the hands of of parents. It's never happened. It's not happening. There's not one image of it that you can find anywhere in the land. And Karam said they're putting kids in cages, which is also not happening. Are they detaining all of these individuals in some place? Yes. But the last picture I saw of two kids in a cage was taken or or behind a fence was taken in 2014 when the Obama administration was in power. And even then, they used that picture to try to make it out like that happened yesterday. And then when they were caught, they took it down and everything else. But that, was, that made the rounds over the Memorial Day weekend. Remember that? When they put that picture out of these two kids? Look at this terrible thing. These kids are behind this fence. They're sleeping behind this. This is terrible. This, this country is, uh, is a horrible country. It's no moral values at all. And somebody said, well, that picture was taken in 2014 in Obama's administration. Oh, well, uh, never mind. They took it down. It's unbelievable. And in fact, if you want to know the numbers, the Obama administration and I'm not quite sure the pace is what it was when, when President Trump took office, but the Obama administration, more than any other administration, was deportation crazy. President Obama was deporting people left and right, and not one peep, not one peep. You didn't hear the grabbing babies from the parents' arms. You didn't hear about empathy. You didn't, the, the, the media didn't talk about any of those things. They, they certainly didn't talk about faith-based immigration law enforcement. When President Obama was deporting people left and right, he deported more people than any administration before him. I mean, I, I don't understand where these guys are coming from. Anyway, we'll talk more. And Suzanne Baker's going to be in. Is Gia back there? 
No, I'm giving her. I'm giving her the countdown. I know. I know. Suzanne knows where Gia was last night. I do too. Gia was hanging out with. Well, I was kind of jealous. She was hanging out with Bob Gibson. So a picture of her with Bob Gibson, Tony Larusa. Looked like it was Cafe Napoli. But anyway, we've got a little clock running to see when when Gia is going to pop in. I think she said she said eight o'clock to kind of set up the idea that she'd be. And then I, I said, well, no, I want you to come in when Suzanne's on. I want you two together because you guys you guys are going to have a show together on Radio Free Almond. So we'll see. We'll see. In the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, our national anthem.
Suzanne Vanker, good morning. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Are you we uh, we mic'd up and ready to roll? I, I guess. Think huh? So if you can hear me, okay. Let's Let see. me see. Hello, hello, hello. There you go. Okay. There you are. Hello, hello. Hi, Suzanne Vanker. Hello, Jamie Almond. It's so glad to have you in, and I've known you for a long time now. And oh, by the way, you you're younger than I am. But is this like one of your jams or are you kind of like when you were a kid, you grew up in St. Louis. So when you right. were a kid right. and, and you and the girls got together, were you listening to Yes or what were you doing? Oh, Yes, that sounds familiar. Yeah, <laughs> Yes, part yes? of the fun. Yeah, I mean, 70s music. I love 70s music. Like That's, what? Um, I mean, it goes really far back. It's kind of embarrassing because I get made fun of because I still listen to it. But like, um, um, what's his name? Dan uh, Fogelberg? No, well, I do like Dan Fogelberg. I do no, too. No, I do like him, but like, um, uh, Bob Seger. Oh, Bob Seger. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, yeah, I go, and the journey, my favorite is oh, Journey. No kidding. So I have friends okay, who are yeah. a little bit younger who just make fun of me because it's, they just can't get their head around and I still listen to this stuff. I'll never forget. Oh, yeah. Journey, the, their first album with Wheel in the Sky oh. on it was one of my first albums I ever purchased. Yeah. And as a kid, and just Journey was great. I kind of oh. I kind of liked him when they had what's his face there, the, the original guy yeah, there. Yeah, sure. And uh, but and Bob Seger, come on. I, I mean, mean, how can you not like yeah. Bob Seger? I saw Bob Seger in concert not too long ago, and even though he like he looks like all of his age, but his voice hasn't changed a bit. Isn't that amazing? It is incredible. And, yeah. Um, 
and then uh, what's his name, Jackson Brown. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I go a little you. far back. Oh no, yeah. you're yeah, yeah, you're you're so, in So yeah, that. we're in the same. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Can't believe I mentioned Dan Fogelberg, but I that I don't know why. I just I just I, love, I you just oh yeah, I love all that music. You That's just great. when you just your presence just made me say Dan Fogelberg. <laughs> I don't know what it was all about. <laughs> so Suzanne Vanker is a great author, and she's. A St. Louis gem, really, and I, I didn't. I think something came by my desk a long time ago. I don't know whether I saw you on television or there was some article you wrote that was exploding all over. And when I get you on, and didn't realize that you're right here in St. Louis, and yet you are a nationally, internationally known author. Uh, of several books, by the way, I, you had you brought in with you the Alpha I Females did. Guide to Men and Marriage. Yeah, how to how love works. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a lofty subject, there, my dear. <laughs> how love I works. I never start small. I know. I just would start small. Even even like the whole what you're talking about being nationally known and much more so than locally known. I don't know how that worked out exactly, but I'm much less locally known. But I'm going to change that. Yes. We're going to change that. Oh, no. We are going to change that. In fact, Suzanne <laughs> and uh, our friend Gia, they're going to uh, – we're in the, in, the, in the throes of attempting to throw a beautiful show together featuring these two because uh, actually Gia is going to be in at 8 o'clock, God willing. And uh, she'll be here. I know she'll be here. <laughs> she definitely will be. She's, she's not low energy. As they uh, say. No, no. Uh, but, but I'm kind of scared of the three of us in the same room. A little I, bit, so I, yeah, it's I know. Be bad, not bad. But it's going to be interesting enough when the two of us are in there. Exactly. I think it's going to be a blast. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, and, and this will be an issue. This will be focused on a lot of cultural issues, uh, issues that are not. It's not going to be like, uh, let's take this call about your relationship. It's not going to be Dr. What's her face? Dr. Laura. No, uh, it, it's it's more about. Uh, some of the things we're seeing in our schools, in our families. I mentioned earlier this self-absorption role that we are on in this society right now for whatever reason, where now just being a person who just having an outburst is seen as being okay, whether it be on an airplane or whether it be you know, in a, in a White House briefing room. That seems to be the, the way it's all going. But also, though, we had Doug Giles in last weekend, and you were out of town. Mm-hmm. But eventually, we're going to get you guys together because uh, Suzanne handles, I think, some of the female versions of what Doug does because he he yeah. ri- he wrote a book called "Raising Righteous and Rowdy Girls," and that uh, was a great book. And you would you identify with that very much so because of the the trend it seems of. Basically, just simply demasculizing the masculization mm-hmm. of uh, of men, men. And, men and boys for men, that matter. Men and boys, right. men and boys. So I'm very involved with that. Um, it's sort of an ancillary cause of mine, and I work with a lot of um, quote unquote men's rights groups, which often gets a bad rap because uh, that's well, that's a whole other conversation. Right. But right. At any rate, I um, so I'm particularly concerned about boys and men, but it's all related to the larger issue of what we call women's issues but should not be called women's issues right. because women's issues are everyone's issues. We're all connected. So if I had to sort of um, put what my mission is about or what I do, you know, what I've been doing for the past 15 years under an umbrella, I'd say that it's really about understanding that the culture is extremely influential, 
very much so. And it will direct the choices and the thought process that, especially as you're growing. Right. And if it's a good, sound culture with positive values and messages to impart, like it used to be, yeah, right? right? Back right. in the day, yes. more power to it. We have fallen so fast in 40 years that those messages are entirely destructive and actually harming people in their decision-making and in their worldview. So I'm really coming in, and, and the reason that that has gotten to be the way is because so much of the messages that are imparted via the media are, are feminist messages or right. left-wing West. Right, I, right. I focus on the word feminist because I'm talking about women in the media, and women in the media are, for the most part, left-wing women. Right, right, yes. right. Uh, right-wing women, what do you think they're doing? Well, they're getting <laughs> they're, yelled at in a, in a press room well, or no, getting drowned yes, out. Well, <laughs> yeah, there's the Sarah Sanders right. example, yes. the problem there, no question. But there are fewer, this is an interesting fact that I don't know if people think about, but you might think, why are there so few, you know, so one of the biggest issues is this gender pay gap. Um, And the fact that the reason why that gap exists is because women make, for the most part, on, on average and for the most part, make the choice to put family at the center of their lives rather than live the kind of life, for example, that someone like a Sarah Sanders suck up. Well, I didn't say that right. That's Huckabee. okay. Yeah, no, you're right. You're um, uh, and, and the fewer women, the, why there are so few women in politics is because that lifestyle, nobody understands how all-consuming and um, myopic that life is. If you choose that life, you literally have no other life. It's 16, 20 hours a day. They barely sleep. They barely eat. If you really understand work like that, that's just one example, politics. Um, if you're running a company or CEO, that's another one. I mean, there's just, or if you're a brain surgeon, all these big time jobs that are, um, that most women don't choose is because they choose to have a much more balanced and flexible life that involves or revolves around their family. Now, that's the truth about the gender pay gap. But what you'll hear in the media, for example, is, of course, why do you think there's fewer women in top positions? Well, of course, they're being discriminated against by bad men. So (laughs) that's where I come in to offset these absolute lies that people believe because they don't have the information. They, They might suspect that's not quite right, but they're too busy living their lives to get, garner that information and have somebody explain it to them. So that's kind of what I do. That's yeah. kind of an example of what I do. Well, you're, you're one of your articles uh, th- that you wrote on the 17th that's up there at SuzanneBaker.com is uh, what patriarchal conspiracy question mark, which is what you kind of alluded to when you talked about this idea that somehow uh, women and executives aren't paid well because of the big bad man. And that's kind of how we just simply reflexively answer questions related to these kinds of simple things. Right. And there's not even any um, – there's just no voice for the fact – well, first of all, there's no pushback on the fact that that's just flat-out not accurate representation of the way America works. This patriarchy that we've been sold on as being this big, bad, evil wolf that's keeping women down is just a complete farce. It's a, it's a – um, misunderstanding and a a purposeful political um, aim away from what this country was really about. And there are reasons why things functioned differently back in the day for women and men, specifically for women, since they're the ones who've made so much change, Mm -hmm. so many changes Mm -hmm. in the last 50 years. And it's not that they were held back and down. It's that the way the world was back then 
didn't allow women to live the lives that they live today. And that's not because men were holding them down. It's because, well, for one thing, I mean, we could go on and on with this subject, but um, there were the technological advances, the modern conveniences, birth control, which is a huge one. All of these things played more of a role in changing the um, role, if you want to call, of women over the years than anything feminists ever did, any, yeah, mar- right. any marching they ever did in the street. And who's behind those technological changes and those modern conveniences and even the birth control pill? Guess. Women. No. Oh. Men. Oh. Men are the ones who are responsible for creating. The, they are, there are more, far more male inventors than there are female inventors. So right. if you look back and um, do your research on that, you'll see that it's men who created these things that actually – liberated women, if you will, to leave these for your lives. Well, you talked about like with Margaret Sanger. This is why I I said women, why I automatically, because I thought about her because she was the original uh, promoter of abortion, uh, uh, unfettered abortion for that matter. So, but, but, but I never considered the, 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 when it came to birth control, all that other stuff that it was, you know, male driven. It was male driven. Um, and I, I mean, there's so many details that that we could talk about with respect to these. Um, I mean, if I go all the way back to just this is going to sound archaic and like what's this have to do? But you really to that with today. But you really have to think about it. Take washing machines, which were again, and these are all invented by men. Right. Um, frozen food food process. All these things that back in the day before you had birth control and before you had these modern conveniences, your entire day was taken up with just getting through the day of feeding your family. Um, staying alive, right. you know, it was like more right. of a survival process. Yeah, and it took the progress that naturally occurred over the decades to get us to where we are today. Not so. In other words, my argument is: if, femi- if feminists never stormed the uh, roads or whatever and, and put up those signs, guess what? We'd still be liberated. Right. Now, now my- in, in that way, if you want to say liberate, I mean, I have an issue with the word liberated, but in terms of being liberated from the taxing nature right. of being chained to your home, not because men put you there, but because the world was such that you, you had to be there. There was nowhere else to be because it took so much time just to get through the day. Well, because I'm... I'm and, and you we, had more children. Yes. And you, and you <laughs> mentioned the, the, the liberated part because I'm, I'm actually trying to find... Uh, because because I grew up, I I was actually I'm I'm 55, so I actually lived through the 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 transformation from of 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 a lot of women. Yes. I, yep. I watched it with yep. my mother, yep. who uh, raised six kids. I was the youngest of six, and then I think by necessity, I mean she went from and it was so funny because I should I should write about this at some point, but. Uh, I, I saw the transformation basically on my dining room table. I went from seeing, remember the days of patterns, right? Mm-hmm. And women, my mom made all of her clothes, clothes from yeah. the patterns that yes. you buy at right. the, the store. Right. And so my dining room table, when it wasn't, it didn't have, have food on it, uh, was was just spread out patterns of clothes. And I saw this as a as a young kid, and, and my mom was home when I was a uh, a, a young boy. Mm-hmm. Then my parents uh, separated, and my mom then it was replaced with uh, Lincoln National Life and and life insurance school books mm-hmm. uh, for her to get her life insurance uh, squared away s- license, yeah. whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And and she was great at it. 
but she, by necessity, kind of had to pop out into the workforce, but also then, but also was influenced in large part by this generation of uh, like the, the you've come a long way, baby sure. generation. Mm-hmm. And I remember if you go back to. Uh, 1967, for instance, and although I think I think it started a little later than this, but the first inkling of like the "You Come a Long Way, Baby" came here. Let's, let's, it's a woman like a suffragette, right? Yeah. It used to be, lady, you had no rights, no right to vote, no right to property, no right to the wage you earned. That was back when you were laced in, hemmed in, and left with <laughs> not a whole lot to do. That was back when you had to sneak up to the attic if you wanted a cigarette. Smoke in front of a man, <laughs> heaven forbid. You come a long way, baby. So it, it was an ingenious commercial because it was a woman who was dressed as a suffragette, and she took a pair of scissors and gradually like cut off her suffragette outfit, yes. and suddenly you had this woman... With eye- eyeliner and uh, bell-bottom uh, pantsuit, yeah, bell-bottom pantsuit, oh, really, yeah, and a cigarette, and that yeah. and that, that was, was a big deal. that was a big deal, was a big and that deal, was that was sure. the first part of like it was kind right. of weird to say, wow, look how far you've come. Now you can smoke a cigarette. Right? It's like, oh, <laughs> I don't know about that, but nonetheless. But so I'm trying to figure out like where did this change? Yeah, how did it change? How did we come to the point right now where we are? So all of those things, the way that I explain them are, again, natural progress that's going to occur over time where you realize at some point, oh, women can do um, things outside of uh, bare children. And this is going way, way back. So and the and then the idea that woman is supposed to be prim and proper and, and good and perfect. And then, oh, she can have a cigarette even though she's so she doesn't have to be. Yes. Now that's going way, way back. That's just an example of that would be progress back then. So what happened was over time as um, where the real change occurred was in the 60s with what's what we call second wave feminism. And that was very, very different from everything that came before. And that, you know, my argument has always been 1960s on has been terrible for America because of the things that occurred in the 60s in terms of the messaging. So whatever the women's issues or rights or concerns were prior to the 60s really does not match what happened post-1960s. You have a very radical left-wing ideology that's masquerading as we're just in favor of women's rights. That's all we are. Mm -hmm. I mean, who wouldn't want that? But it's very slowly, very carefully, and very um, um, underhandedly, if you will, um, chipped away at marriage and the family. So to get to a larger issue or get to a specific focus on what I focus on in this larger issue of culture and fighting the culture is I'm most concerned with how it's affected marriage and family. So for example, right now you have a nation of women, several generations of women who have been so steeped in, um, uh, being taught to, um, focus on the career aspect of their life to the exclusion of this other part of their life, which for most people is going to be marriage, because even no matter how much marriage has changed, most women, most men too, but most women, and this is the research is there on that, have said they want to marry. So it's that, that desire, no matter how much we can talk about marriage all day and how it's changed, but ultimately they want to do it and they will do it. So my argument is, look, who you marry and the state of your marriage and your relationships is going to have far more effect on your happiness and well-being than any other thing you do in your life. 
So why is it that we're focusing from age 18 to 30 on the idea that this, this education and career, all of which is great and I support it and I did it and I, is, is all your life is going to be about mm-hmm. with no discussion of how you're going to incorporate home, husband, and family into that equation. So I have been fighting that for years because the messages in the culture are so insidious and they come at women left and right to the point where they either forget to have a family and then it's too late and why is that what goes and so I'm into that's kind of what I'm working on now with this book I'm writing is what happens when you're in your 30s and you are looking for a husband what right. you know what's the evolutionary let's talk about what that really looks like for what men want what women want and how does that work can you really postpone it inevitably and then of course you have the fact that women have a shelf life in terms of how they how long they can get these things done they've got to pretty much establish their life in terms of if they're planning on having a family between the ages of like 20 and 35 right and, and that's Whereas, more than just societal that's also physical because ultimately having about. a baby towards that's, 40 is that's what i mean tough. yeah okay. whereas men simply don't have Right. There's no equality when yeah. it comes to love and family and sex. That's what I'm trying yeah. to get at. Yeah. That's really the issue. There's no equality. You can talk about equality all day long in the workforce. That's fine. But when it comes to relationships, men and women are vastly different creatures. We are not equal. We are not the same. You do have, as a man, you don't have to map out your life in the same way I would have and did. Right, right. That's just the way it is. I, I can't change that. You can't change that. So let's work with it. Let's work with biology. Let's work with reality, right? right. Not all this... Ideology. I want to get ideology out of the way, and I want to get practicality and reality on the front table, on the table, so we can create lives that work. Okay, so the question I have, too, is, is then where does the male come in in helping this along? So, uh, and, and, and here's the, the, with, with Doug's book, Raising Righteous and Rowdy Girls and, 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 and Stronger Women, I, I hate to, I almost feel like I'm Chauncey Gardner from being there. You remember the movie Being There and Peter Sellers? And it was this guy who the only thing he knew was television. And, and, and he would repeat him. lines from TV. Yes. And I feel like I'm that person because I just did the Virginia Slims commercial. Now I'm going to go to Westerns. As okay. a kid okay. uh, with my father, I pretty much saw every single movie ever made from the 60s through about 1973 in movie theaters, everything else. That was kind of our jam is what we did together, uh, see movies. And if you look at like the Western and, and you look at, and I'll just specifically take a movie like Rooster Cogburn with John Wayne and Catherine Hepburn. Women in Westerns, and indeed even in our culture, if you get right down to it, where Bill Monroe, his voice, the high lonesome sound came be, from from his grandmother, because in Appalachia, the women were the ones who were the singers and the musicians mm-hmm. and all those kinds of things. So, and and, in, and similarly in these movies, like these westerns, the women were the were sometimes the tougher, yeah, b- the, tougher we than the men. About this when we first got together, yeah. you were talking about your grandmother on the radio. Yes, yeah, yeah my grandmother who who was not only could 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 wear a set of pearls in in Belgium as my grandfather traveled the world as the World Council of YMCA guy, and she could she could put together a roast and wear high heels and pearls together. But my grandma also was missing her fore, front forefinger because she really was a farm girl. And whenever she had the chance, she'd do be out in her garden, whatever. And she cut her finger off tilling, is what oh, she. And but yeah. but and you should have seen her shuck a ear of corn with with four fingers. It was amazing to see. But she could do both, and that was always a miracle to me. Mm-hmm. And how I was at, my exposure to women 
through that culture was always I never saw women as as a weaker sex and and now it's weird because uh apparently strength that one, some girls are taught that strength is you uh, being a CEO and and acting like a man, being right. a man, yeah. So so the, so that so I'll tell you my own little story, and then I'll get uh, remind me to get back to um, the masculinity issue yes. because that's huge. That's like so topical right now. Is turning what, what does it mean to be a man? Yes. Um, but I never saw this issue either because I grew up with um, the women in my family are all highly educated, more educated than I. They all have masters, and um, they. They had like my mother, for example. She was a stockbroker in the 1950s, so you can imagine wow. how many women she hung out with yeah. in, in the office. Not too many, and she had some great, interesting stories. But at any rate, so she she went to Radcliffe and she did all these things that um, feminists would have held up as this is what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and but my family doesn't pay attention to what the culture tells, and they just do what they want to do. That's it. So yeah. that's what she did. And um, then she. Of quit and stayed home with us. Uh, I think when my sister and I, me, were f- uh, three and five, five and three, and never went back. So the message I got from her, and she, by the way, she married late, so she had to go ten years in the workforce doing this before she had my sister and me. So I grew up with the message that clearly she she embodied: you, you can do and be whatever you want. But the message I got from her specifically was, you can't do it all at one time. It does not work. So let's just know that going in and figure out how you're going to you know, manage all this. Right, right. So I got great messages early on that allowed me to um, create a life where I don't live like the modern woman and never have had to deal with all this guilt and regret and uh, angst over that particular issue of work and family. Now, moving on to where we are now, with the masculinity issue, it's not just women getting a message that I think or I know is totally destructive because it's not allowing them to live full and enriched lives. And there's another way to go about it entirely, which is what my work is about. Um, men are getting the issue that there's something wrong with them. That's the bottom line, that there's something wrong with being masculine. Right. So the whole um, message about it's really about having distorted masculinity and femininity. The idea that being feminine means being weak, which is completely, as you just pointed out, not what I saw growing up and not what you saw growing sure. up. Sure. That's, that's, a, that's a narrative right. that is sold. And then the idea that being a man and being a strong, dominant partner, and, and you know, the bigger, the stronger person, is a bad thing is also not a good message to sell in my opinion. Right. So it's gotten to the point where we want to uh, feminize our men, weaken our men, which is what I think your Doug Giles friend gets, yeah. in, gets into. Um, and the idea that women want that is for a relationship or in a marriage, no, 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 no. It does not work that way. But, that's, but men will ultimately do, and this is another sort of theme of my work, is that women are in charge of the relationship between, the romantic relationship, in that, you know, a man's basic core when it comes to being with a woman is just to make her happy. And he's naturally prone to want to do what she kind of wants him to do to be that good person to him, to her. So if he's told by society and women that he needs to be softer, he'll, he'll be softer. And if he's told it's bad to be, you know, more traditionally masculine, which is more authoritative and more um, assertive, which is not the same as aggressive... And being dominant, by the way, is not the same as domineering. I'm getting into all this in my next book because dom- nobody wants a domineering partner with, who sure. controls you or tells you what to do. Regardless, I'm talking of their about I'm talking about being decisive, gender, yeah. 
strong. Really, yeah. I'm talking about being strong. Yeah. And what does that mean between a woman being strong and a man being strong? They look differently on each other, and that's okay. And they can both be strong in different ways. But what's happening is women are trying to emulate the strength and live their life the way men live theirs, and it's not working. So, um, for example, the fact that men are more linear in their focus and tend to, and their desire to provide and protect is, is instinctual in them. It's in there. It's in their DNA. It's when they, they, it's when they do best. It's when they feel empowered. That's not typically where the average woman gets her, you know, isn't fed from right. providing and protecting. She's not looking, you're not looking for her to provide and protect for you. I mean, that's just not what men are doing. No. They're looking for. And women are not looking um, for you to be the opposite of that, which is, I guess, softer or more of the passive role. And so this is what's this is where I think the gender relations have gotten so off base because they don't know what role anyone's supposed to play anymore, and they don't know how to proceed in a relationship because the masculine and feminine piece of that has been so demolished. Yeah, I don't know and, if that yeah, makes sense. Well, yeah, so, absolutely. Because I'll tell you that that growing up, and I'll make another cultural reference uh, in terms of TV and whatever, but back in, as you, as you turned f- towards the 1976 to the early 80s, there was this Alan Alda image, yes. and it was the Alan Alda mm-hmm. sweater mm-hmm. on the cover of People magazine or Time magazine, and he was the, the new American male, and, and, and it often it was derisively talked about but there was a there were a lot of there's a lot of messaging to us young males that the Alan Alda soft cuddly yes. sweet image and you can still be sweet yes. and you can still be cuddly and, be strong. and still be masculine yes. but yeah I mean but the, yes. but what I'm saying is this was always imparted on us through these messages yes. that you had to be the Alan Alda mm-hmm. type of guy and it was confusing because when I was growing up we didn't know like 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 I've never been in a situation where I've ever not opened the door for a woman, mm-hmm. a car door, a regular door, whatever. Uh, I've never actually fallen for that idea that I, I shouldn't do that. Yes. But, but that was kind uh-huh. of message to a lot of yep. younger males is that um, you know women want to open the door. They don't need to be coddled by a male, mm-hmm. and they don't need to be, have the door held open for them. And so we kind of were, there was some of us who were able to stick with you know, our instincts and others who were simply trained in a different direction. And I'm trying to get those who are trained in that direction to be more like you in yes. terms of resisting it. That's, yes. that's really the key. It's about resisting these messages that are really designed. It's a very political, ideological message. It's, it's got an um, agenda. That's the best. It's, there's an agenda there. And you don't want to fall for it because if you fall for it, it's going to negatively affect your life in a very personal way to where you'll end up with, for example, tons of conflict with your husband um, because because you're having this role issues of who's supposed to be doing what, and you're trying to live parallel lives, really, and um, that, are, that have become competitive instead of the complementary nature of how it used to be. People understood that women were one way and men were another way, and that was embraced. And, and I'm not talking about your role, what you're doing during the day. I'm talking about, um, although that's part of it, but it's it's just more about the energy that you bring, and that two people cannot, and this gets into my book, The Alpha. Yeah. We can talk about that if you want. Yeah, um, absolutely. You can't, two people can't drive the same car. That's my issue. That's yes. my point. You just can't. Someone has to sit in the passenger seat and sort of guide maybe the driver, or not, in my case, because I've been taught not <laughs> yeah. to guide my husband. If he's listening now, he will laugh. It took about a year. Well, no, it took a lot of years 
to stop, yeah. but I think it's been a year since I have finally stopped um, because I am a natural driver. Sure. He is a natural driver. We clash, and this is, gets into my, this is, this is part memoir. So you would call yourself an alpha female? Yes. Okay. So by, I mean, yes, yes. And so this book, the most recent book, is about <clears throat> having lived and understood that if you're with another strong personality, or and my, as my husband put it, defiant. We are both very naturally defiant by nature. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to give on that. You're just you're going to be like this all the time, and yeah. we were. And I didn't want that. And my parents um, had somewhat of a similar dynamic, although my da- my dad was much softer than my fa- oh, my husband. So my husband fought back more a lot. But my mom ended up really. Um, being in charge at all times. Yeah. My dad didn't have a voice. And I witnessed that growing up, and I did not want that for me. Although there was no chance of that happening with me because my husband wouldn't let it. But I didn't want, I didn't even want anything to do with it. So right, right. this is about me learning how to um, um, let go. Yeah. Let's put it that yeah. way. Relax, let go, and be comfortable in the passenger seat and knowing that he's got it and I don't have to control how he drives. Or right. that, That's just a really good metaphor, I guess, is the driving, I think. And what people have been taught about that dynamic of the man's driving and you're in the passenger seat is that that passenger seat actually reflects the back seat. Uh-huh. And, there's, and I talk about that in this book. The, the passenger seat is not the back seat. Right, right. It's the passenger seat. And you That's need, a great point. Yeah. And when you're, look, look at a ship, a sh- when you're a, a ship captain, you can't have two people. It's, whether a plane, you could have a co-pilot, right? Right, right. That's really what this is about, is that you, you have to figure out how who's going to do what and i think people i don't think i know people are struggling with how to how to do that in this new age of genderlessness and anti right. anti male and anti um masculine and feminine you know complementarity now you mentioned uh parental uh influences and and upbringing and i'm wondering whether or not the rise of the kind of the 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 masculinizing of of, of of men. Am I? Is that the right word? Masculine. Mas, um, well, emascul- emasculation. Okay, yeah. Emasculating right, emasculating men, yeah. and 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 the women and their kind of militant feminist outlooks. Yeah. I'm wondering whether or not that's an outgrowth of these women are now are now older and and are now adults, but grew up in a family. Where the guy, where the dad bought into the Alan Alda view, and, and 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 then and then just simply surrendered his role in the family as a result, and whether or not women, there are a lot of women who actually are wouldn't normally be geared this way, and it it, it might be just simply a default mode that they're in because they watch their mom commandeer the family or not or be head of the family, and the dad kind of just take a. Just, just surrender or right. retire or whatever from his role, and I'm wondering whether there are a lot of women who just simply that's how they grew up and that's how they operate and that's just the way it is. Completely agree. I think all of what you said is exactly what has happened, and the problem with that is that, me- regardless of how it happened, whether you got that in terms of your own personal life, whether you got it from the culture, or your family, or what have you, at the end of the day, the conflict results from the fact that. A woman doesn't want you to relinquish your strength. She doesn't want that. So whether the culture told them and they adopted it that way or it came from their parents, what she's screaming out for is for the man to be stronger than she is. And so when she 
so there, there's other people who have written about this. There's like whole books on on this exact um, dynamic that has happened and how it hurts relationships because ultimately it's just not natural for a woman to want to be stronger than her man. And here's a, here's a great example I, I use when um, we talk about this role reversal issue. No matter how much we've, quote-unquote, equalized things after all these decades, you still don't see, number one, men, I mean, excuse me, women, girlfriends, or wives paying for the meal when they're out for dinner, do you? No. Now, how is it we've switched roles and we're equal in every other way, but that still goes on? B, do you ever see a woman pulling out a chair for a man at the table? Yeah. Now, these are things that there's a reason why you won't see that ever in in any kind of, unless we live in some alternate universe. (laughs) That would freak me out if a woman did that. Yeah. I, I mean, would go into full-fledged panic. <laughs> I mean, but the culture wants, maybe not that specific event, but they want, they want it to be yes. that you and I are interchangeable. That I should be able to hold the chair open for you or the door open for you and pay for the meal. But those two things, I think, really get at the heart of why, how unnatural that is. It just feels wrong when you talk about it, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I actually never would have – just the, the very idea that you just promoted of a woman <laughs> pulling a chair out for a guy almost uh, – almost, Comical. Yeah. I mean – I mean, I yeah. almost just freaked for out. Speechless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just not normal. Yes. So, so no. And there's a reason why it's not normal. But does that make me chauvinist then? No. no okay, that's good. my point. That's, that's my yeah. point. Good. It means the natural inherent – Exchange uh, dynamic the the you know what what he brings and what she brings is so important and it's so lost on a culture that insists upon this faux notion of equality as far as sameness goes and that we are interchangeable and that women are supposed to live the way men live and men are supposed to live the way women live and that ultimately that's gotten us all confused and nobody knows what the heck to do so that's kind of I'd say that's that's probably the biggest issue that I deal with with my, you know, when I get emails from people and what we're talking about is they've, like, I get emails from a lot of women who have become the breadwinners, full-time breadwinners. By default, things happened. I asked them to explain how it all happened and their what husbands don't work. And the marriage, the marriage is on its way out. I mean, yeah. it's just not working. Yeah. That's a whole topic of, of its own. Um, but yeah, I deal with, I hear from a lot of those women. Yeah. Okay. So then settle something for me in, in this sense and, and I think I've, I've, I've actually been self-aware enough to figure out what the roots of this were to me uh, but I have a I, like I have a real aversion and, and women who listen to the show and, and a lot of them do and they're great and they all seem to have kind of the same vibe they're, yeah. they're, they all have the Aver- same qualities yeah. it's almost okay. like it's almost like if you if you uh, like a nurse you know uh, nurses, are all the same. Yeah, right, they, right. They, they all have the same kind of constitution. Energy, energy maybe. Energy, an core. Yeah, right. They seem to be all built the same way. Yeah. But, but, but I, but, and so they get mad at me when I do the, I, I have, a, when, I, when I see a woman mowing a lawn, <laughs> it drives me crazy. Now, I can't figure out whether that's because I am chauvinistic or I, I've, I have this weird thing. I think some of it has to do with um, that when, when a woman – that it reminds me of absence. Like, for instance, when my dad wasn't around and I was too young to mow the lawn, my mom mm-hmm. would mow the lawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he was, wasn't around by necessity because he had to work out of town for a variety of reasons that, that I, I don't need to get into now. But nonetheless, so, so that there's, a, there's something that rings a bell for me mm-hmm. in that sense. But still, 
I get weirded out when women when I see a woman mowing a lawn. And then I hear from my women who are listening to the show, they're like, well, I, mow I my love lawn mowing all the time. Yeah, I right. love mowing my the neighbor lawn. mows I saw my neighbor uh, Carol mowing her lawn yesterday and I, I smiled. I said, That's so great. I've never mowed a lawn. <laughs> so I you're asking the wrong person. I but, know. but my issue with my issue isn't who cares what people do? What I care about is a society that says there's something wrong with the fact that our son I have a daughter and a son. He's the lawnmower, and yeah. she's not, yeah. and that's okay. Yeah, right. You know, that's my yeah. issue. It's not if you do it differently, that's bad. It's that I don't want to hear from the culture that that's archaic or twisted or right. um, uh, sexist or whatever else the left comes up with yeah, yeah. to make you feel like there's something wrong with you because you're doing things the natural, quote-unquote, natural way right. or whatever. Well, I do have to say, though, I, okay, so, so, the, so I'll accept the, the lawnmowing part. <laughs> But if you're a dude and you're waiting at the door with a cold beer for her, at that point, I'm off. Well, I'm if, you're, if you're setting up the picture of a husband and wife and he's inside sitting <laughs> yeah. and she's mowing, yes. I, I mean, my husband would never do that. And, yeah. I, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do it either. So yeah, there is something you know, natural about it. But yeah, no, it is reverse in some cases. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, and you have, you have some great articles. I, I don't know whether you have a, a, a timing on, in terms of when you write and when you don't. But I love you have one from April 30th. It's SuzanneVanker.com. And of course, she's the author of I mean, We need to talk about that book a little more. And also, this article uh, Men Called, They Want Their Balls Back. <laughs> that gives you a little flavor of my style. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about it. Well, and that's interesting too, because I have to get into this idea that uh, some, she, she made it. Hey, I do. Okay. Oh, I do. I figured you would. I'm just saying. <laughs> She was. I'm jealous. You were with Bob Gibson last night. It's driving me nuts. But nonetheless, uh, you 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 get a lot of pushback yeah. from people. I, I, and I think it's and, and it's interesting because your style is so non-confrontational, but so forceful in terms of your writings and that kind of thing. But you're not. You don't belittle people who have a different mm-hmm. idea or you, you don't you don't get out there and belittle Mm-mm. feminists or whatever uh but but you educate which i i love that mm-hmm. style about you is it is it you're you're more you don't speak in the negative you speak speak more in the positive yes that's that's thank you for describing it that way because i do see it that way i'm not sure i've ever described it so accurately but that is how i see myself as i don't call names i don't i i deflect when i get I'd ignore, like if I'm attacked, um, I think silence is important. Um, and you just keep at your message. And the message is always presented, at least I try to, with as much uh, meaty, uh, researched, slash advice, slash, you know, whatever, uh, material, so that, but it's done in a very direct way, yeah. which is your point. Like, Absolutely. Very direct. Like, yes. you, you might as well be talking, that's probably how you and I are alike. I'm going to talk the same way here. That I talk in my kitchen at home, exactly, and that is that is unique. That's unapologetically, unique. unapologetically, right? Um, I'm 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 not flip with my words. At least I try not to be. But I I I I'm really what you see is what you get, and yeah. I think that does come through in the writing and the people who live in the especially more elite world who want you to sugarcoat the wording or make it sound better for everybody to be included in it. You know, a that's not me, and b. There's no way to make everybody happy. Right. You're talking about a specific thing, and if it applies to you and it's helpful, great. And if you want to reject it, reject it. But that's who I am, and I'm putting it out there. And by putting it out there, you're going to have to face 
the pushback because kind of when you think about it, like you said at the beginning, what I'm pushing back against or what I'm fighting is pretty damn big. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. it's ridiculous. It's huge. I mean, everybody in the media is my enemy pretty much, even the women in the media, because they're, they live different lives, they think differently. And so going on TV with them, <laughs> I mean, even at Fox, and I love Fox. Fox has been great. I'm a Fox News contributor. If yeah, you're, uh, if sure. You're, Listeners don't know that, and um, in fact, I think that there's a piece coming out for Father's Day this weekend. Yeah, I want to talk about that. Um, but and, and sometimes I'm on TV as a result of the article if it goes viral, which it tends to do. Um, and and I have to even fight my own people, if you will. Like the yeah. issue, so that's why I don't like the conservative liberal label for me personally, because I'm more of fighting something deeper. It's a cultural, and it's an attitude, and it's a worldview. And if you've been taught this worldview for years, to have somebody come along, especially a blonde, young person, who, who is, as opposed to an older, you know, like, finger-wagging, yes, like, yes. older lady, um, it's like, we're, what are you saying? What? Wait, what? <laughs> like, that's just yeah. not at all what I've heard my whole life. So you must be wrong. But then when you look into it and you actually read the work, they, wow, nobody ever says this. I. I totally agree. This makes perfect sense. And every radio program I've done over the years, and I've done hundreds, it's 100% positive every time. They say, That's not what I got from the media at all. Right, right. Well, and right. because they, and they give, it, give it you time. And I was wondering about that dynamic when you are interviewed by female anchors yes. uh, in particular. It's been fascinating. Yeah, because I think ultimately I think what happens is, and I guess, I guess you, 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 you assume this is going to happen anyway, but there's there's a likelihood they feel that they're being judged yes. or they're they're intimidated by your presence and what you're saying and they're ref, they're reflecting it all on them. Absolutely. But if they didn't do that and just kind of oh my god, put I, it. I mean, I'm I'm just imagining now having had all those interviews in a different way. <laughs> I yeah, can't yeah, even yeah. get my yeah. head around it because they're always antagonistic. I've had a few, one or two specifically on Fox who I love and they're great and they're completely professional. But I've had others, most of whom are they take it so personally. Yeah, right. Because the issues that I'm talking about are pretty much their life, and, yeah. and I'm talking about the opposite of what they've done. So it's t- so they can't be impartial, right? So it's, and are there guys who get intimidated too? Because I wonder if they, no, they, they're they're great. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. for the most part. Maybe one or two. Yeah, right. No, right. they're much more receptive because it's not personal. Well, it can be personal for their lives, but they're coming at it from a male with a male mind. And right. Hence, going back to my overlying, you know, theme of my work is the difference is the vastly different way men and women approach everything. Right. Everything. Right. And when you really understand it, which nobody does today because we're taught that we're the same. Relationships, whether at work or at home, come, become so much easier. Right, right, and it's interesting too because there's a, there's a level of, and I'm not quite sure whether you've ever been accused of this, of uh, tokenism or of being a sellout or whatever. Oh, sure. But like, like my friend Henry Davis, who is happens to be a black Trump supporter, yeah. a black conservative guy. I don't know whether he'd really say conservative. He's just more of a common sense guy. He'll every time he goes on the air and talks about Trump or talks about you know certain common sense approaches to culture or laws or what have you legislation, he's always called an Uncle Tom, even though they actually that's the wrong. Right. That's not Uncle Tom was not that way. Anyway, that's right. a different story. Un- Uncle Tom was much more crafty than people felt, gave him credit for. But but they call him a sellout, mm-hmm. a turncoat, and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. When actually he's represent he represents a lot of people who are black people who uh, want. What white people want and what Hispanic people want, much like you started the show when you said that women are are no different from men in terms of what they want from life, uh, happiness, prosperity, peace, you know, those kinds of things. 
And so I'm wondering if you kind of get that from That's very much my life. That's very much, uh, yes, yes. Um, I'm I'm called a misogynist um, or a sellout from, you know, because if you're not a quote-unquote feminist and you don't take a feminist position, which has been completely distorted because they teach that feminism means equal rights for women and who the heck wouldn't believe in that. Yeah. Um, Rather, without without explaining what their mission really is. Right. Um, That's, that's, par for the course. That's just part of the deal. And you're going to be slammed against, but then that's, that's the system that I'm fighting anyway. So yeah. I kind of knew that going in, but I have to say I was much greener 20 years ago when <laughs> I started. Right, right. I mean, I knew the uh, media, for example, wouldn't be on my side, but man, did I get a crash course when my first book came out. Oh, I bet. It was slammed in Glamour Magazine before it had hit the shelf. No Right kidding. above a book called, uh, a pro-choice book. Like, read this. They had a do's and don'ts section. Uh-huh. Do read this one a pro-choice book, and then mine, which was just basically in support of motherhood and the needs of children and all that. Don't right. read this one. This oh, one's wow. terrible. Yeah. From and so, Glamour, magazine. Glamour Magazine. A women's magazine. Yeah, uh, right. But uh, you won't find my material in women's magazines right, because right. it's not what they want to push. That's cra- that, I mean, that's uh, crazy. It's crazy. That was my... I mean, it fueled me. I'm like, this is so messed up because I represent regular people right. between New York and California. There's millions of us, and they have no voice. And I guess in my head at that point, I decided I'm going to be that voice. Yeah. You know? I mean, you think Cosmo or is, is Red Book still around? Uh, but go, I think it's on it's way out. <laughs> okay. But none of but, those know, magazines it, would have yeah. me. None of them. That's crazy. Yeah. And I only remember Red Book is because my mom always had Red Book. <laughs> you know, that kind but of thing. those are a message. There's a message that's being sent to women yeah. in those magazines from the time they're small. And all of my argument is that all those messages about sex, men, marriage, love, children, work, family, all those big ticket issues for yeah. women, which is really not women, but women and men, everyone's interested in those issues right. and, and involved, um, are, are harmful. And that if you buy into that, you are not going to have a good life. That's, that's basically my argument. Well, you're brave. Uh, but but Suzanne would tell you though if you talk to a lot of women, what Suzanne is well Suzanne is brave, but the reality is there are a lot of women who think the exact yep. same way that you do. You're just articulating what has been out there, and it's been hard for to break through in the, in the culture. Precisely, and that's the number one theme of twenty years of work is you you you've said exactly what I think but would never say. Right. That's, I've gotten that over and over and over and over again. So that's how I am able to keep going because right. I know they're out there. Well, actually, you're, you're actually more of a liberator than the feminists are. Thank you. I couldn't agree you more. Know, Maybe I'm, I should call myself that and then really yeah. play, make a play on words there because yeah. they own the language. They own oh, the yeah. dialogue. Right. And we've right. got to take it back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is a definitely clearly a different form of liberation. That's <laughs> for sure. Uh, one thing before we get away, and then, and then uh, Gia is going to come in with you. Uh, the I've I've noticed you know Camille Paglia yes okay. Paglia lover right so how did because back in the day she was considered to be this ardent feminist yep. whatever and she, and there was this transformation or was it a transformation or what was it with her so she's a little bit of an uh, outlier in that she got into her issues are really art and that is her main issue yeah. art and um, sexuality within art and she was a professor. Um, but she's very much like Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you've been yeah, keeping up with yeah. him. And they actually have a great dialogue for an hour and a half online that is not to be missed. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But she's, she's basically like Jordan, a classic liberal who at the time, because remember, she's, near, she's like 70 now, I think. So in the 60s would have been on board with the general feminist ideas. Um, 
over time, that, that deterioration that I talked about that's happened over the decades since, she is not a fan of. So basically what she's saying is, I see what it was, and I see what it's become, and it's a damn mess. Now she's very pro-men. This, that's this idea of getting rid of a man in the traditional sense is absolutely outrageous. They, you know, and, and fighting the idea that we live in a patriarchy and that the patriarchy is bad and it's meant to hold you down, hold you down. And she brings to the table what men have given us and how what we need to be thankful for, and that masculinity is good and you should embrace it. So I'm not sure how to answer that, except it depends on what what era she's sitting in, you know, right. in terms of what her 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 beliefs are. But I would say she's a classic. Um, liberal, fair-minded. She believed in the original premise of feminism, let's right, put it that way, right. but she definitely is not a fan today. Yeah, that's so I've been, I've been watching that, and it's been very interesting to see that. And and the Jordan Peterson, Camille Pelletier, if you just Google it, I guess yeah. it's online yeah. and on a podcast of oh, some sort. Great stuff. You know, next time we have a Radio Free Almond event, we should have a, we should have a Suzanne Venker book signing. Okay. That would be fun. That would be fun. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the, the Doug Jowles thing went great. Awesome. And maybe next time, because we're going to try to do these more on a regular basis, we should have the uh, Suzanne Venker book signing. Okay. That would be awesome. All right, SuzanneVenker.com. And Gia Valendi is going to be in in just a second. And this is just for you. Just for you, Suzanne Venker. Here you go. Just for you. This is Jamie. <laughs> <laughs>
I told everybody last night, I was reading Rolling Stone where they said the Detroit audiences are the greatest rock and roll audiences in the world. Oh, shit, I've known that for 10 years. Told you. I told you that was for you, Suzanne Vanker, SuzanneVanker.com. And woo! Thank you, Bob. I'll tell you what, that was like from 1975 or something. You go see him right now, sounds exactly the same. Hmm. It's incredible. So uh, thank you all for your comments. We are live here from the Discovery Design Studio here. And we appreciate Rick and the gang out there at Discovery Design and had a great time last weekend. Gia Valenti, you were there. You had a good time? I was. I had a great time. You were at, you were at the book signing Friday and then also Saturday at the Discovery Design. Look, so I'm committed. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. I know. Totally in. Uh, totally. And so, uh, and Suzanne was was out. But you know what I said is is... Next time we have one of these events, we're going to do a Suzanne Vanker book signing. I, I heard. That's a good idea. It's a great idea. <laughs> well, so I, I, when Gia, I don't know how this whole thing started, but uh, Gia Valenti and I got together, and of course, she has learnwithmoxie.com, which is a brand new uh, website, a brand new endeavor, and a brand new approach to parenting in an age of devices basically that's yep. kind of how, how it all goes and it's interesting it's groundbreaking it's it's kind of the way in which Suzanne is approaching cultural issues and relationship issues in that uh, you're broaching subjects that a lot of people care about but very few people actually attack with any kind of authority or insight or intellect so that's where we're going with that but anyway so we were we got together on this and, and talking about learning with moxie and so I'm sitting there talking with Gia while we're, while we're just chatting back and forth. And then suddenly Suzanne Venker comes into my mind. And I say, I have to, you have to talk to Suzanne Venker. Because Suzanne, you haven't, I don't know, you haven't done a lot on, on, the, on the electronic device. No. But, but you've done a lot on parenting and that mm-hmm. kind of thing and, and cultural mm-hmm. and relationships and that kind of thing. So I said, you have to, uh, you have to talk to Suzanne Baker because you guys would, first of all, you, personality-wise, you guys would totally hit it off. And it's a little scary. I, I know, I know, I know. For, it's, it's I know good, this yeah. would be fantastic, and so you have to meet her. <laughs> so then, the following week, I think it was right. 
mm-hmm. we got together. This time, the three of us, and and you met Suzanne for the first time, and then you guys were like blood sisters, like from the moment you met. And I was like, this is perfect. I mean, because both of you have so much verve and so much passion for what you do and for what you how you've lived your life that I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And then then towards the tail end of the evening, I just shut up and listen to you guys, you two talk together. And I was thinking, oh, this, and this has to be, this should be a show. Because <laughs> at first it was like going to be, maybe G's going to have a show, maybe Suzanne's going to have a show. And I was thinking, what a great show it would be to have the two Vs together. The two Vs. The two Vs together at, at one time on Radio Free Almond. So uh, obviously I, I haven't seen, I wasn't plugged into the phone during, the, during Suzanne's time there. But, then, but uh, everybody loved the Love the hour, and it was good to be able to have that. And then when you were on last time, Gia, everybody was like, "Oh, we lo- we love Gia." So this is going to be good. Now you guys have they love al- us, yes, <laughs> but you guys have already kind of plotted out your music and your thing, and oh yeah, everything. Yeah, we're we're we're, we're going to do this. Go. We're going to do this. We're very excited. We're really excited, actually. And we thank you for, for the being opportunity. So brilliant to think of us. In oh the yeah, same, to put us together, basically, because yeah. we would not. Be together if it weren't for you. Yeah, so, well, it's very exciting, and you were smart to do that. And thank you. Love it. Very I mean, I, I just, I, I think it's great, and you all are two great friends, and so I figured this was going to work out perfectly. And you know, it's interesting though. So, so well, we we have to have a meeting eventually. So let's just have a little bit of the meeting on the air here, okay? And, okay. and maybe maybe people can chime <laughs> in. About it, it. Exactly. So you, so you guys, I was going I asked you right before Bob Seeger um, finished up there. Were you Go all going? Well, yeah, I know. Were you all going to do? Is it a, is it enough for like a daily show? A daily hour is hard, mm-hmm. but I think you could pull it off. Or would it be like once a week? When you envision this whole thing, would it be once a week? You don't have to tell me the title yet because we'll we'll do a big rollout for that. I don't want to spoil yeah. anything yet. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but would it be once a week? Twice a week? Um, I'm probably a little bit more flexible than Gia because sh- her schedule might be a little different than mine. So it's probably going to be her call. I, I could actually go either way. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Just to put it all on Gia. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, there's always ways to make things work. So I could possibly do every day. Mm-hmm. Really? We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I have I've, kids I've... in school full time, so. You know. I'd lo- I'd yeah, love. Yeah, the it. nine o'clock hour is beautiful, isn't it? Like, uh, right after yours. Yeah, Wouldn't that be great? wonderful. Like I, you finish up and we walk in. I that would. Awesome? That would be great. Yeah, that would be perfect. Yeah. So you so you think that the 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 morning hour would be better than the afternoon for you all? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Perfect. Yeah. For I mean, our, for our ske- I can't speak to your listener schedules, unfortunately, <laughs> but we kind of have to do it according to ours, and I think that's probably ideal for us. I think it's and, yeah. it, and it's, it's actually a perfect kind of drawdown from the topic. Uh, political uh, politics, rich, uh, yes. you know, and, and other, we, we do talk culture because I would like you guys on, you know, kind of as, as regular guests, you know, when you're writing something or when you're doing something, uh, a, a, or when a topic comes up, that's mm-hmm. related to something that your right. expertise is in to be on the show. Right. So I'd want you to hear, but you know, but, but then, but I think that's a perfect idea is right after this show. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's the, that's, that's the, Sort of plan at this All point. right. I was thinking about you, by the way, Gia, when I saw, I went to see the Jerome Robbins mm-hmm. uh, show at the Muni. Muni. Yeah. It's really good. Great. And the dancing is great. And Gia, 25 years at the Muni as a dancer and singer, though, by the way, right? It's true. And th- have you seen this show? 
No. Oh, I mean, I've seen that at the right. but I have seen it, yes. Yeah it's, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I was thinking about you because you've done that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Right, let me ask you both about this. And, and, and Susan, cause, because I, it's hard for me to, uh, I, there's, we're kind of in this mode now where in, in, in our realm and conservatives and everything else, uh, to pull the sexist card is always very hard because you don't want to play into the victimhood that we see mm-hmm. on the crazy left all the time. But I'm trying to process this configuration in the White House briefing room with Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And, and I'm trying to figure out what it is about her that draws out individuals who decide that they can say whatever they want to her, act however they want in front I of her. I can answer that for you. Okay, well, let me play yeah. the soundbite okay. from what happened here, okay. and then you can dissect it, okay. both of you, because, uh, and, and they bring up her parenting and her parenthood mm-hmm. and everything else. Now, I, the, with Sean Spicer, I made the point earlier, uh, Sean Spicer left himself a little vulnerable because he had a, a variety of t- kind of emotional triggers that people who are predatory will pounce on immediately. When you show, when, Sean was a good guy, a strong guy, Military guy, everything else, but he had, but he was easily uh, shiny object. So they they could they could get him going on anything. Uh, so so I could see how they could pounce on him when when the sharks smelled blood, that kind of thing. But Sarah Huckabee Sanders is deserving of none of this kind of activity, and the only the only thing she's doing is being a strong personality. Uh, she lives rent free in the minds of every single one of these people. And as I said earlier, most of the time in answering their questions, she rides them like a rented mule. So it's just how she is. That's so intimidating to these people. But so instead of actually being intimidated, they lash out and have these. And this guy who came out of nowhere, Brian Karam, is in the White House briefing room and and pulls this on her regarding the whole uh, these accused family separations at the at the border. If Democrats want to get serious about it instead of playing political games. They're welcome to come here and sit down with the president and actually do something about you're it. A Jill, parent. don't you have any empathy? Jill, go ahead. Come on, Sarah. You're a parent. Don't you have any empathy for what these people are going through? Jill. They have less than Brian, you do. Guys, Sarah, come on, settle down. Seriously. seriously. I'm trying to be serious, but I'm not going to have you, you yell out a turn. Jill, please call. It's a law, and and they have th- these people have nothing. They hey, Brian, I know you. I want to get some more TV it's time, but that's that. not what it's this not is about. about I want to recognize you. you. Go ahead, Sarah. Jill. Honestly, answer the question. It's a serious question. These people have nothing. They come to the border with nothing, and you throw children in cages. You're a parent. You're a parent of young children. Don't you have any empathy for what they go through? Mm. First of all, I had not heard that, so I thank you very much for playing that. Yes. I had missed that altogether. I want you to imagine Sarah Sanders looking exactly the way she looks, talking exactly the way, just exactly being who she is, but being a Democrat. Right. Now, all those people in the audience are therefore magically her friends. They're at a cocktail party now, right? She's a Democrat. She's on the left. She's, right? She's, she's touting that side. Nothing that you're seeing would ever be happening at all. It would have a completely different dynamic between those people in the group and her. It would be like it was when Obama was there as a big cocktail party. Mm -hmm. When you put a strong 
conservative-minded woman, and really emphasize that word strong, which goes back to what we were talking about before. Yes. This is what gets me the most. I love this conversation about strong women. You can be as strong as you want if you think the right way, if you are on the right side. The moment you embody those quote-unquote feminist ideals on the right side of the spectrum, right. you're the enemy and you're the devil, which thus goes to prove that feminism is not at all what it claims to be. It's a specific, political, ideologically driven agenda, mm-hmm. and nobody should ever match themselves up with that group and call themselves that, because that's an example of how, um, what a lie it is. Sarah Sanders is phenomenal. She's everything you would want in right. a spokesperson. And if she was on the right side, she would be hailed yep. and held up. She'd be on covers of magazines. As, of course. As, as this is what, look what you can do. Like, <laughs> right. Look a, what you can do. Right. right. Absolutely. You, instead, silence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People magazine or, or spread with all her children, everything oh, else. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah. All of it. And Gia, you've, you've, I've seen you online with, with these kinds of things, and you've talked about her before, and you probably have assessed this the same way. And then, then the, the, but the, the brink, would, would, would there be a situation where a reporter would bring up somebody's, like, 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 certainly there are males out there who are parents too, but for whatever reason, the parenting thing came up with her, I, and I think it was because she's a woman, Correct. Absolutely, I think so. I mean, uh, I don't. I can't imagine somebody in the press saying that to a male. Um, I looked down to read something from it, so I lost exactly what you just said. But the parenting, just, she brought up the oh, parenting. Parent, they brought on, up parenting. Thing. Parent, oh, oh, you're a parent. You're a parent. Would, oh, would, right. would that ever be? Because men are parents too, but they would. Um, I've never heard that. No, referenced. but I. Uh, but the, I would still argue that the reason why that's lashing out is because she's a strong conservative a strong, right. woman, not a right. woman, not right. a woman, a strong, strong conservative, conservative woman. woman. It's very important to get that in yes, there. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, she, you wouldn't get a, a reporter saying that to any liberal woman in the same position, even if they were touting the same issues about immigration. Well, CNN kind of has a pattern here. So whenever <laughs> one of their people or somebody lashes out in the White House press room, sometimes it's April Ryan with the Urban Network, whatever, they immediately will go then afterwards onto CNN and be congratulated by whatever anchor happens to be around, if it's Don Lemon, whatever. This guy then is... As, as living through the pattern, then goes on to uh, to with Aaron Burnett and is congratulated for what he Looking did. Looking at your body language, the way you were talking there, obviously you made it personal talking about Sanders being a mother to young children, but this was obviously passionate a passionate moment for you, an emotional moment for you. So, again, it, 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 if as long as you have emotion or passion... You seemingly can behave in any way that you want to. <laughs> That's right. Because feelings, feelings are the number one most important thing today. <laughs> right. Feelings and emotions. Yes. And uh, being offended and all of the things that do not make for a good society is being and adhering to all of these feelings and emotions and rather than facts and um, data and all the things that um, make the world go around in a much better way. So, yeah, because when and we've t- talked about this, and, and that's why when Gia talks about this obsession where, with, with the devices and communicating through that, there's a transference, I think, to this lack of, of, of responsibility to socialize yourself with kids who basically have just been glued. One of the dangers of being glued to your devices and glued to your thing and not having to talk to anybody and not having to actually adjust and comport yourself to the norms of a group 
uh, you, you're going to have only more of these kinds yeah, of things because people just react, yeah, right? That's, yep. you, yeah, you're exactly right. They're, they're, everyone is, especially our youth. So the adult population, and I say probably from, I'm going to say, I'll, I will go so far as to say 20s, early 20s, had an opportunity to develop a lot of the social and emotional and communication skills that are required to function in life. Today, the youth, if they want to go an entire, well, even as adults, we can, if we want to go an entire day without speaking to somebody, we can do that. Yes. We can go, we can text, look at email, stay home, have our groceries delivered from schnooks, and not do, not have one social encounter, face-to-face, interpersonal. Our kids are really the victims. They're the victims. They're being completely hijacked of this opportunity to develop this and to be communicative members of society. It's frightening. Yeah. And people are not, um, you know, we talked about this yesterday, you and, you and me. We all got this introduction to the tech. It, 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 it just kind of came quickly. It just, it, it just was there. Right. And we're all doing it. And, and it snowballed. It, it, yeah, and it snowballed. We're not thinking about what it's doing. And, and the next thing you know, you're turning and you're looking at your children and you're going, oh, my God. You're, you're having a panic attack when I take this away from you. You can't even function. Yeah. You're not listening. When I say your name, you don't hear me. We're, we're having fights about it. We're fighting in our families about it. I, get off the, you've been on there too long, you know, get off, get off. I'm almost finished. I'm on your stuff. It's, we're having all this conflict. And then you're going, whoa, what has happened? What has happened? How has this taken such a hold on us? We've all been, we've all, you know, uh, uh, have been, Bamboozled? Bam- but, 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 and you know what? I don't, yeah. I'm not angry with the tech companies. Right. I, I love it. I love the innovation. I love the entrepreneurialism of it. I love Apple. I love Microsoft. I, I love, love all people. I love, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not them. Right. They have, an, they, they have done wonderful things. It's, it's us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we are now waking up. I think people are starting to finally wake up and go, there's something to this. There is something wrong. The problem is, it's so hard to stop. Mm-hmm. Right. It's so hard for parents because it's so easy. Yeah. Well, there's and a reason. Life is hard enough. So we have this great thing for our kids because it just gives us a break. Right. Probably because so many people, why, why are people so exhausted? Why are women mm-hmm. so exhausted? Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this is where we're going to just, mm-hmm. we're going to mm-hmm. have a right. great time. Mm-hmm. Right. But we're so spent and... And our kids are so busy and occupied with this thing. Why would I ever put myself through the misery of my kid constantly saying, I'm bored, I'm bored, mom, 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 mom. <laughs> right, right. Because this mm-hmm. prohibits that from happening. Right. This is the best thing ever for that exhausted parent that doesn't mm-hmm. want to deal with their kid. And they're exhausted because, well, for the most part, it might be the mom, but, but they're exhausted because they're doing multiple things. Too much. And too much. Too much. Yeah. Too much in a single day. Well, and there's got to be a reason why, for instance, I mean, even if you look at it like 10 years ago, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the viral airplane 
meltdown video that comes to us every three or four days. Somebody on a plane has some kind of temper tantrum or something's (laughs) going on. And and, and you see these constantly. And I was trying to figure out why that is. Like, like for instance, back in the day, like, I remember Dan Rather confronted President Nixon about something. Uh, and, and, And the fact that he was in Nixon's face was like this gigantic unbelievable yeah. moment in media history now with regularity even when president trump was talking to kim jong-un there's a cost all these all these people uh shouting questions about stormy daniels and all that. i mean it's like it's like it's become regular like these mm-hmm. outbursts in a in a white house briefing room so that goes into this ever happened yeah and so trying to figure out a larger issue yeah what civility. it is that that's causing this this and I, I, it, it really focuses on a lot of self-absorption, a lot of this idea that 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 you do not have to adjust yourself to any kind of social situation whatsoever. It's all about you. And I think the social media has allowed you, you hear from people you would have never heard from in your whole life. Millions of people who have a platform, that being their social media, to say whatever they want to say, um, and that has created this culture of incivility as a result, I think, of that. Because I think it coincides exactly with social media. This, Amen. The civility. Amen, yeah. absolutely. This, uh, I talk about this there, a lot. The civility is a big mm-hmm. deal for mm-hmm. me. And I have to tell you, I work with a lot of kids, and I am seeing such a shift. It, I mean, it's already evident in our, in our, in our culture with politics and with uh, any daily encounter. Civility is gone any formality, any manners, any reverence or regard for elders or uh, each other, mm-hmm. it's gone. It's in the trash. It is a gross culture right now. Yeah. Gross. Mm-hmm. And what's weird about when you say civility and, and you say Twitter because of why I'm here and not over there. And, and it's weird because, and, and nobody, I've talked about this incessantly about that particular David Hogg tweet. And it was actually a response to accusations about uncivil uh, lack of civility. Right, like before He's that. F bombs. Well, before and that, I had never even I have never I had never even critiqued David Hogg. I'd never even attacked him. In fact, I actually was was uh, and, and I got blowback from this from people who listened to me. I was actually impressed with this movement that they mm-hmm. threw together and and how fast it kind of generated everything else. And so there was this there was a conversation that we had where people were saying all you guys do is pick on David Hogg and this is what you're going to do is pick on people who are anti-gun people all you do. And so when I tweeted that I was going to hot poker him, it was a response it was a facetious response to them saying that's all we do is criticize these people. So in but but that became the the height of incivility that I was threatening to sexually assault some anti-gun kid and I was like oh wait just a second here because it, it all tied in and so we we go overboard in that sense uh because the next day in fact and this was a weird thing because it wound up being actually a a I, I wound up defending him over this uh, because the the it was the following day I was in re- I was referencing what I was going to do the following day and that was to break down this documentary that was done with these two documentarians and David Hogg. And they sat in his living room and did whatever. And the documentarians, and I was saying, this is how easily kids are manipulated. So uh, David Hogg, who had never been publicly Mm -hmm. cussing Mm -hmm. or anything else, 
was doing an interview with these people, and the adults were started dropping the f bomb and mm-hmm. talking to him. So immediately, mm-hmm. because David Hogg is young, and people kind of forget that young people are young, the seventeen year olds and eighteen year olds are young. Uh, he immediately picked up on their language style and started f bombing himself. Interesting. And I was I was pointing out that first of all. Um, this is what happens when 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 you Low. adults are egging kids on, yeah, and lowering the standards. Then they're going to match, yes. of course, what you're doing. And the, and the entire conversation was about that. I, I, I was critical. I, I was always critical of the policies they promoted. So that was that was fine, but never personally attacked. And in fact, so what I was referring to, what I did the next day, was I actually defended him, saying that that adults are sometimes the ones who are pushing the buttons and turning the wheel here. For, for the kids and and that's and 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 that's how I got fired basically it was it was crazy but to your point about incivility well the social media obviously is is just we wouldn't be having this conversation if social media wasn't a thing right they're they're in, they're intricately uh, yes. I, I agree but I I am so tired I, I agree I think the social media is out of control but if you are a parent, of young children, and you now, this is my favorite thing ever. Everyone talks about these problems. You know, we've got all these problems, you know, with the social media and people are killing themselves and nobody has it. And we're all going, oh, this is terrible. But no one is willing to tell their kid, no, (laughs) you're not going to have Snapchat. You're not going to post pictures of yourself every five minutes on Instagram. Or ever. Or ever. (laughs) Or if you want to do it when you're 21 or 22, do it then. I am so sick of blaming. There's no accountability anymore. Everybody wants to blame Mm -hmm. everybody. You know what? Facebook's there. Instagram's there. Twitter's there. Not going away. Not going away. And I love it. I love all that Mm -hmm. stuff. It's great. I'm on Facebook constantly. Sure. But I have a spine, and I have the balls Mm -hmm. to tell my kid no and deal with the pushback from them. Yep. And it's painful. Now that's, then that's, it's yep. painful. That, it, oh. It's why I drink wine. <laughs> yes. Okay? It's, it's, that's why wine was made for parents that say <laughs> no. no. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right my life, my life. So, so like, my two biggest things with – it's a recurring theme of everything I write is that the, the main thing you need to understand about human nature are two things. Number one, the average person wants to go along with the crowd. We'll always do that. They do not want to stand out and be different. That's number one. Number two is it is much, much, much easier. Well, this probably goes hand in hand with that to go along and get along than it is to say no. So, in other words, they're going to take the easier route if Absolutely. they can, especially, right. especially if they're really, really busy. And since 30, 40 years ago, things were calmer and the day felt a little bit longer, maybe because you weren't running around like a chicken. What I've always said in raising my kids is, and my mother taught me this really early on, so I must have gotten this message a long time ago. If you want to discipline kids properly and well, you can't have anything else on your plate because it's going to require so much consistency and mind space and, as you say, backbone. It's a job of its own. It's a part-time job, basically, to do it well. So if you're in a rush and you have to be somewhere, guess what? You're going to give in. If you don't have to be somewhere, you won't give in. So there's a... There's more to that conversation, which we can have when we have our program. Yeah, but that's yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned running around like a chicken because when when I when the colloquialism that I grew up with was from my mother, 
and you'll enjoy this from the standpoint of the, of the, of the strong woman. My mom used to say it was running around like a chicken with your head, head cut, cut off. off. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I one time asked my mom about what, that what whole that? thing. She <laughs> goes, well, uh, because her mother on the farm would, would cut a chicken. Her mother, not her dad, would cut, would cut her, not her dad. The, the chicken's head off. Uh, and it was her mom's job to do that, and that's where I got that whole thing. So that was that, that was back in the farm days. And have you seen a chicken with its head cut off running around? I mean, I uh, think it only lasts for a couple I, minutes. Eventually, they're done. I'm mean, not sure how long that lasts. But it, it, but, but it's true. It's, but that's what I mean. Come I think on, that's we the all point, live though, that way. We is all that live. eventually you're going to crash and burn? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. exactly. And we yeah. all live that way to some extent. I live it much more that way, for example, now than I did when my kids were little. So I did stop the ship and just get off and just focus on my kids for a number of years. Um, well, I mean, I still like to think that I do, but they're older now. Yeah. One's heading to college and the other one's about to drive. So you, you have these stages of motherhood, right? And it depends how many children you have as to how long you're in it and all of that. But you have to adjust your life to doing what's best for them. And that's really how I got started with writing from the get-go. That's my first book, really, was all about the needs of kids and how it's up to us. They don't need to fit into our lives. <laughs> I mean, they do in a way. You right. know, I don't mean overparenting and stopping everything at all. I just mean... They have needs you have to meet, and that means you're going to have to adjust your life to meet them. That's it. That's the gist of it. I have a question for you, and we haven't talked about this. How do you deal with pushback from people who are like, I'm a single parent? I'm a single mother. Right. I don't have this nuclear family, this perfect, the husband's working, and I get to stay home and be mom. Right. How do you handle that in today's society? I'm curious. So... I don't talk with a lot of single moms one on one. They don't email me. I don't get, you know, but I have had some of that over the years. And what I try to do is get away from the personal situation that the person's calling about because I find that people always want to make it about them. Like, let's say I say something that's a, a, a stat, that statistic that's true. And <laughs> you just get the response from people who go, well, that's not the way it is for me. That's not the way it is in my house. And you go, Okay, that doesn't change the stat, but right. I hear you. Right. <laughs> I right. get yeah. it. Yeah. It just yeah. doesn't change the stat. Just because it doesn't mean just because it doesn't happen to you doesn't mean it doesn't happen for the majority of people. So that's I'm getting off track a little bit. Um, I try to refocus on as gently as I can about mothering was never meant to be a one person job. It just isn't. Now it's very politically incorrect to say that, but anybody who has kids and who's done that work knows that there's a reason why there's two parents and not one and there's several ways of looking at that. One is because kids need both their mom and their dad, and that's a big one for me. But then also doing the work as the parent is not something that can be done by yourself. And if you, and that's another reason why I encourage older women to stay near their families when they have children. Because if you're married to somebody who works long hours, let's say, what do you think has happened in the past? What do people do? They turn to their family members, their grandparents. They have help. Um, of some in some capacity, but because we're mothering in a vacuum or parenting in a vacuum, and we don't have our extended families around, and two people are working all the time, it's it's a mess. I mean, right. it's just it breaks down, and we don't want to hear that, but it does. Well, and the single parent family thing is the parachute that everybody uses who wants to instill something in a school that uh like like something about sex education something about this and that that's where, what i brought this for okay, okay yeah. well but, okay. but so 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 they'll constantly say yeah but what you know like i don't need you to teach this and teach that why are you why are you imposing this well there are some people who don't have both parents so we have to do it's always the pretense the the, the, the foundation yes. on which right. they try to instill these things in there to to 
teach and, and my argument is that you don't change what works because you've got a segment of the population, no matter how large it gets, that is choosing or has found themselves in a boat um, that's different from the way it should be done. So in other words, there's plenty of single parents out there who understand that they don't want it to be that way and it's not good for their kids. And they wouldn't want to change what's good for families overall to accommodate them. But yeah. those aren't the ones you hear from. Like you say, you hear from the ones who are saying, what about me? How am I going to do it? And you hear it and you sympathize, but you can't change the standards. So, for example, I brought something and I'm so glad this you mentioned unreal. that. This, this is unreal. This is the kind of thing that she and I will be talking about on our yeah. program. Mm-hmm. Because it's the, it's the intersection between the family and the culture. So I went to, um, I was in Princeton over the weekend and I was with my um, Canavox group, which is a pro-marriage group, that, um, and I was with the, the other leaders from all over the country, and one was from California, and one was from Virginia. And the one from California, I sat next to her, and she said, oh my God, you got to help me. This thing has come through our uh, school board, and they're going to change the sex ed program to add this stuff in. And she begins to explain to me what they were adding in. Next to her was the lady from Virginia. She said, guess what? After I spoke with you, they implemented it in Virginia. So you have California, Virginia, and you can bet it's going to come to all the states in between eventually. And it requires concerned parents getting together to fight this um, in order to not let it go through. And that's what both of these ladies are trying to do. I got a note from her last night saying that here's what happened. This is the Virginia and I'll try to explain this really quickly and easily. I think all you need to do is read the underlined uh, right. That's um, all it took for me to go, the first whoa. One, yeah. <laughs> Basically, in both of these places, they want to make some changes to the sex ed curriculum, the most glaring one of which is removing biological sex and saying, basically teaching kids that your sex is assigned at birth and not biological and that your gender identity can change throughout the course of your life. And so here's basically everything that you've been taught about being male and female is wrong. Now there's, it's so shocking. It's so out there. You almost, you can't believe you're talking about it, but the, everything you're hearing in the meat in the, uh, in the culture at large that we're fighting about gender and right. this idea that there is no such thing as male and female is now implemented, will begin to be implemented or attempted to be implemented in our schools and teach and taught to <laughs> good thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I used to teach teached, Taught to, uh, taught to middle schoolers. And so this, these ladies are fighting back, and they got over 1,300 um, signatures, and now they have to see whether or not they will, can, can stop it. Another example well, is... Well, who's behind this? Like, what, what is it that is promoting this idea? How does this happen that it becomes so something... So it starts so- in the top, in the government and the culture, and then the, the educators are part and parcel of that. I mean, there really is, not to sound, you know, not sure what the word is, but... It's like a system. Just yeah. it's huge between the government and the culture and schools and colleges. I mean, that's really it's it's the people who are who are in a position to make change, actual change that will affect your children, that are all of one mind basically. Right. Which is really shocking because you think, how is that possible? Well, there are plenty of people who do not think that way. Um, I left education because I did not go along with what the majority of them thought. But you either don't hear from them or, like me, they drop out. And you're left with the conformists, right. the people who do not – they believe that um, 
the, the left wing ideology is so pervasive and they've bought into that. Yep. And the ones like myself just get weeded out or they stay silent or just go on or with they their quit. lives. Or they quit, <laughs> like I did. And, and, that, and so there's nobody fighting them. So the only people left to fight them are parents, which is where you're coming where in. Where we are. Where we're talking about. Because there is no other place to go. You can't blame anybody and you can't point to any group to save you. It's got to be parents. Well, that's interesting because, I, you know, I'm, I, th- that, that goes back to, for instance, what's going on with, the, uh, with sex education in general. And what I've been trying to say is I don't understand why sex education is taught in schools <laughs> anyway. But, uh, because I don't believe that, that – I, I have respect for teachers, but I don't believe that they are equipped to teach children about mm-hmm. sex education or about sex and relationships – and every time you broach that subject, that's what they default to is, yeah, but some people don't have two parents to teach them, so we must well, step in one. to teach them this. Yeah, <laughs> you have one. Yeah, right. And, but they do say that. They say the parents are just not equipped to do it or they won't do it, so somebody has to do it. Yes. That's their argument. That's always their argument. And, and if you want to make it straight-up health education, and like the old days, that's fine. Like, here's how it works, and here's what, you know. But because sex has become what it has over the last 40 years, going back again to my issue of everything has been screwed up in the last 40 years, we don't have basic understanding or an agreement we don't agree people democrats and republicans agreed on some basic facts of society the the family is a unit of society marriage is good a man is a man and no woman is a woman fancy that these were things that were not arguable they're not debatable because those things they're so basic are so up in the air now you can't teach them in a school properly because there's gonna be too much dissent too much confusion yeah ambiguity it's a mess and that's why when, when there are some conservatives out there who want uh, God to be brought back into public schools and that kind of thing. And to me, uh, again, I send my kids to Catholic school so that, that's because I'm, I want them to learn religion, but I want them to learn their religion, and, and that's fair enough. But, I, but when, when some conservatives say, we need God back in school, I'm like, I don't know whether I really want a public school teacher teaching my public school kid, if he's in public school, about God. I just don't think, first of all, it's their responsibility. It's too much to put on them, and they're not equipped to do it. Agreed. I I agree. Yeah. Now, to your point, your friend uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, I I was trying to find it here on Clash Daily, but there's something wrong with the website, but uh, he talked about, he did a little video uh, where he talked about, and I love it when anybody uses the word nihilism, because that's an underused word, but so appropriate for what he says is uh, the, the who people are uh, who children are being taught by, which is just a bunch of these nihilists uh, out there where their nothing is nothing. For instance, gender is nothing, uh, and I, I compared it to because uh, I've always believed that, like for instance, uh, Nancy Comics uh, was was Ernie Bushmiller who did Nancy Comics was was nihilistic because. Uh, if you look at Nancy comics and try to read them, like Nancy, do you have you read the comics? Names, okay, no. well, there's Nancy comic and and, and and then there's Sluggo and Nancy, and then Nancy lives with her aunt. And you read when I was a kid, you'd read the uh, the the panels, and none of it made any sense at all. You it was like there was if you if you go back to Nancy comics, nothing makes any sense. In the Nancy comics, so so the legend has it that Ernie Bushmiller was this was the true nihilist because he would go out there and do a cartoon that was indecipherable. You didn't understand a word the guy was really saying. Uh, these people were you didn't even know what Nancy was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, boy, and, and so Jordan Peterson, you know, your whole educational system is run by these people who. 
where nothing <laughs> means anything mm-hmm. to them. Right. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a bastion of meaninglessness. Yes. And there's no yeah. right or wrong, and there's no man or woman, and there's no, I mean, it's such, it's Ambiguity. so shocking it's, that we are, that we have to deal with this today, and it's so big for parents to try to, to try to combat, but you have to, and you have to do it from early on, but first you have to be aware that it's happening so that you can combat it at home. Yeah. Which, yep. You know, I mean, I've been doing this since my kids were little, and my poor daughter, it's not her favorite. I mean, it's hard because she's so used to hearing the other side and not being, um, hearing both sides, let's yes. just put it that way, that she ends up knowing so much more than a lot of other people because right. they're not getting fed this other side. And it puts her in a harder position because she's like, sometimes I just wish I just didn't know this stuff. <laughs> right, you know? right. Um, but I think as she, well, certainly I hope as she gets older, it will She's serve, in college. Serve her very well. She's right going on. off in August. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And, and full ride, we might add. Right? I, I yeah. know. Uh, <laughs> Amazing. I love it. But 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 nonetheless, though, but but still, that must be interesting. I I'd love to. Well, you'll track this, but but I'd love to see your daughter ten years from now. Yes, me and, too. And how what what the university system has done, know, and, and how she was able to do that? Because you're so right. Which she, she probably she, does wish. Like I've uh, had a completely different uh, upbringing, upbringing, totally different upbringing. Can I speak to yeah. something? This is where a lot of what we do, which is cultural right. uh, issues. Yes. So here you have this amazing daughter who has listened to her brilliant mother. Uh, I just love Gia. And, and Here we go. understands <laughs> that there's another way. Yeah. And then she goes off into the world, right, yes. to be a woman, mm-hmm. to date, mm-hmm. to marry. Mm-hmm. Hopefully all mm-hmm. of those wonderful mm-hmm. things happen. Mm-hmm. But she's going to be courted with this thing. <laughs> We've already had the conversation. So, yes. so gone are the days of writing a uh-huh, romantic letter. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Gone are the days of you know the the nervous the nervousness yeah. of oh my god I got to call her yes. and ask her out yes. oh yes. god yes when you text it's a piece of cake you yep. can do you can yep. ask anybody anything all of that all of those hopeless romantic courtships that's gone mm-hmm. unless maybe we can make it cool again exactly which is what and we talk about goal. a lot I want to resurrect that we want to resurrect <laughs> the Making, simplicity. Yes. Of life and the and and the formality back to civility. Yes, you know. Yes, my son and I. I've already told a mom this. I have a first grader. You know this, but um, so it's early. Okay, like we're not. He's not picking up the phone and asking girls out on dates yet. But I said to a mom who his little lady friend at school. I said, please know that when the day comes that my son is going to ask a girl out, he is going to go through the pain and agony of having to pick up his flip phone because he's not getting a smartphone. Flip phone. And he's going to call his lady's mother or father Love on it. their smartphone. Love it. And he's going to say, hello, Mr. or Mrs. Smith. May I speak with <sighs> Susie? Mm-hmm. He's going to do it. Mm-hmm. He should have to experience mm-hmm. that in his life. He should have to experience it. He should have to have respect for the woman that he's going to take out by going through the parents, all the uh, this thing here. I know, I know. Well, then, it's, okay, then explain this to and, me. And then. Then, wait, one more thing. It, when your son and my son do that, because I'm of course teaching my son the same way. Surprise, surprise. And Emma will say, my daughter will say, um, but people don't do it that way. So what do I do if because if she's not supposed to be the 
instigator and you wait for him and he texts do you just not go out with him if he texts and then and then my son will be oh, my son doesn't care so much but th- th- at the most they'll just stand out as looking that you'll you'll be awesome i mean you'll look you'll look different and awesome because you're doing it this way and it, it might be uncomfortable because at first it's weird but i really truly believe that people want this this is what they want and they need to be instructed and shown how to do it and then when they do it they're like, this is great. Exactly. Yeah. Just to, and it's it up to break us. They're not going to do it on their own. They're yeah. not going to say, hey, you know, I think we should just stop texting each other and just start calling. What if we just do this as a as a group of young people? The That's voice. not going to happen. You have to make it happen. You have but, to make you know, it happen. I, 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 maybe you can explain then this phenomenon because I, I I've seen it, and it's none of my business when I'm when I'm watching it. But I've seen people who are out to dinner couples and they're both on their phones oh trolling God. through their phones now i could see it if you're like a doctor yeah. or your lawyer you're working, or whatever, something's popping, dinner or something yeah, or yeah. something's or, popping where you have to be plugged yeah. in but i've seen people just drop out of conversations but the in, in terms of the younger people though and, and this is going to make me sound like old school or whatever but uh, i've seen guys who are out on a date with somebody or clearly it's, he's with his girlfriend even at like at a wine bar mm-hmm. And he, and she's sitting there, and he's sitting there on his phone. I'm like going, dude, how can you? How, and they're, they're usually twenty somethings. It's it's same guys who I'd see, and maybe you guys can explain this too. And, and again, it's none of my business. But uh, you see a couple out; they're clearly out for dinner, uh, and the guy's in his twenties. She's in her twenties. She's dressed to the nines, and he's got like a backwards baseball cap on and gym <laughs> shorts. And I'm thinking. How is it? Uh, why, why do women why tolerate okay? yeah, that? Right, yeah, I mean, right. and it, is it is she really tolerating it, or how is this happening? So I have to jump in here and oh, say, yeah. going back to what Gia said before about we can point to this problem all day long and talk about it for years, or we can take it a step further and say the only way that changes is for a parent to teach each child differently yes. than the culture. You, I teach my kids, you're going to live this way because this is the. I mean, as far as Get, as far as stuff like that, like right. if you're when you date someone, I can't control what they do when they're gone. But here's what is the proper and appropriate and right. It's okay to say right. I yeah. know. I know we think there's no yeah. right or wrong, but it's okay to say right. The proper, right, civil thing to do. Do it and be um, be the example. Don't follow what the culture has done. Be that different person. Find that courage, and it will come back at you. I believe that. And it takes a parent teaching their kids. Now, I, not every kid's going to quote unquote obey or, or follow, but you can't. You have to do what you can do, and then hope that it takes. But if you do yes. nothing, you have no. There's nothing that's going to happen. We're just going to talk about this endlessly. Well, parents oftentimes want want that want t- want the culture to teach their people. I'll give you an example of that, where uh, people constantly complain about advertisements and things like that. And this goes way back to the whole Budweiser frog thing. When the Budweiser frogs came out and a- AB was using Budweiser frogs in their beer ads, there are these people who were accusing the company of trying to uh, teach younger kids to drink by using some kind of cartoon character of sorts. And there were plenty of parents who were more than happy to blame the AB for teaching their children to drink, not realizing that... And, and, and AB actually had to come out and, and have experts basically go through the media and say, study after study has shown that the people most influential to your children... Are their friends? Oh, friends! The peers and and and, and parents are the ones who are going to teach their kids not to be influenced 
every by, t- they uh, buy by the, the peers. peers. And so, that's so good, yep, you can, you can throw it. all the yep. Budweiser frogs out there that you totally. want, but a kid will learn probably to drink either from you or from from their peers, and that's just the way it is. And so, uh, parents, if the the sooner they realize that they're the they're the ground zero. As opposed to always lashing out at this TV show or that thing. Although I do have I do have problems with Thirteen Reasons Why, but um, yeah, that, that, yeah. you know, well, we need to talk about that at some we point because you have an article that you recently posted about suicide. But uh, yeah, I'll let you finish what you were going to say, though, Suzanne. I was just looking at. Um, you reminded me when you said looking to the experts. Parents are always looking to the experts, and I'm wanting to say, you are the expert. <laughs> right. You know your kid. You're there. You, that is a job. You don't need a PhD on the end of your name. You are the expert. Treat it like that. So there's, and I was thinking of this article that this David McGlynn in the New York Times, I think it's even, yeah, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that I posted about the other day, and I titled it "Smart Parents Don't Fall for Gender Propaganda." Well, this 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 father in the New York Times the other day said um, that he's concerned hmm. about his son. Harassing oh, I another saw person. That. It keeps him up at night. Yeah, right. It keeps him up at night that his son might become a sexual harasser. <laughs> and he turns to the experts for how to deal with that. How should I do this? Unbelievable. And I just had to respond, so that's on my blog. Yeah. It's awesome. You, you just can't believe that you need some what do you what do you hell do you think people did back in the day when there weren't experts to talk to? Right. They were the experts. You teach your kid, your kid's not gonna become a sexual harasser unless you somehow checked out or not done your job well, or something has broken down in your whole family life that would lead that to be, or you've modeled that, right, you know? Right, right. I mean, there, I, can, I can honestly say I've never been up at night over worrying about whether my son's going to be a sexual <laughs> right. harasser. It must have begun, I, the, the real uh, ball started rolling, I think, and snowballed with the uh, What Why? to Expect When You're Expecting series of books. Where ultimately they had the what to expect when you're uh-huh. expecting. Oh, then you're they right. had what to when what to expect when the kid is, yeah. is one and two. Yes. And, and I'll then never they had... yeah, I'll never forget reading in the second series because they have what to expect when you're expecting. Then I they remember have that. What to expect when, when you're your first year. Your first year. Yeah. First year. Yeah. And so I'll never forget that in the book, and it was always so confusing to me, <laughs> is they were trying to tell parents that you need to Never just you need to say please every time you ask your child to do something. I'll never forget reading that in this book. And obviously, you want to be civil with kids and you want to show them respect because respect is a big deal, a big part of parenting. Yes, very much so. Uh, but but it was so weird for this book to be telling, telling parents, you. you know, you know, Johnny, please uh, don't do this or please do that or please please that, as opposed to like any kind of instruction right, or what have right, you. Right. And it was this, this kind of like over management that uh-huh. we all kind of got used to. Because I mean, I fell into that whole trap with those books. Over management and then breakdown of the parent and the child. It's all about the breakdown. Yes. We're on the same page. Just like men and women are the same. There's no differences because we're equal. Yeah. The parents and the kids are friends. Right. We're the same. Right. Yeah. Because there's no hierarchy. So that's by going back to Jordan Peterson. That's why he's got become what he has been because he talks so much about hierarchical structures and why they're good and, and how they work and what it all means. And so, of course, he gets as much pushback as he does have his fans. But, yeah, that's a big topic is what has happened to hierarchy and why is that so bad? Well, and there's other, another one in there. And I guess I could, I could, I could see this because you, you, you want to be instructive. But it was, like, it was like ordering parents never to say because I said so. Mm-hmm. You must always explain to them... <laughs> 
<laughs> why you're saying. I mean, it was just this, this weird thing. I didn't remember all that in that, oh, bo- in that book. I, I, well, I Maybe remember, I didn't get past the first book. I did read the first book. I remember that. Well, I remember but. reading it, and 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 actually, just it was it was basically. Uh, R- reminding me that I was some kind of horrible person because I wasn't doing anything in the book, you know. Like, like I, I've said because I said so before. That's not really necessarily a, a bad, bad thing, thing, you know. No, you don't have to have an, ex- no. a, an explanation. No, no. no. Right. you, you really don't. Have don't. don't. My parents never did. They never did. Yeah, but look how you turned out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That's that's still teasing. Uh, the, the 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 final chapter hasn't been written yet on that one yet. All right. So, well, SuzanneVinker.com. Appreciate you very much. Thank you. And uh, can't wait for this show with you and Gia Valenti, who, if you want to know more about the whole... How's it going, by the way? It's called um, learnwithmoxie.com. And so far, what what you're trying to do is get this into the schools. Schools. And you think she's going to be... I mean, because knowing how the schools are, do you think they're going to... I mean, maybe this would help. I mean, teachers who have to deal with kids who are on their phones all the time or do whatever, they might welcome this kind of thing. I get a lot of response about the program. The question is always, well, I don't know if it's in the budget or, well, I have a solution to all of that. If anybody would, you know, mm-hmm. take the time to, mm-hmm. to sit down, we could talk about mm-hmm. that because, mm-hmm. first of all, it's incredibly affordable. Yes. B, it's incredibly... Uh, it, it's it's easy to implement. There's nothing rigorous or demanding about it in the classroom because I know teachers feel like, oh, God, one more thing I have to do. Um, curriculum, curriculum, curriculum. It's not like that. Um, I, I, I invite people to reach out and ask me about it, especially if they're in education. Or at some point, we can talk about it at length right. you know, on the show. Right. But it's uh, I hear teachers say, God, we need this so bad. We need this so bad. So do it. But they don't have the control, right? Don't just have to be the higher-ups that, no, that do it well, or it, it, that make a decision Admin about it and board okay. members yeah. and yeah. Uh, PTOs, they yeah. can all make the decision. Yeah. And again, as I said, it's, it's affordable, but it's, it's not that hard. And if you really think it's a problem, which everybody does, yes. and that's what right. I love right. about <laughs> this. That's what I <laughs> love about this. the problem. I, right. want you right. to Google, I want you to Google everybody out there in Facebook land and podcast. I want you to Google teenagers and technology. Kids and technology, and you will find article after article after article about the neuroscience and the concerns and the statistics and the problems and the fears and the, the depression. And the, you will find all of that. You will not find a solution based mm-hmm. program. You will not find it. And as far as I know, because I've done a lot of research, mm-hmm. I'm the only. Mm-hmm. Solution-based program mm-hmm. for it. it. Yeah, I, I I dare one of the yeah. school districts to say that's the parents' job because that they, they, they would they would they would win the prize. Well, oh, absolutely, because they're implementing the, sex. Ed, I was right? just going to say that's not a twist of fate. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, right. Right. That's well, what we've been saying to you we, for years. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. We would more. We want the parents to it's, deal with that. Yeah. Not, but we'll not take care of the, the sex part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. right. Well, it was great to see both of you, and uh, we will work things out. In terms of what, uh, how this show's going to roll, but we, we've come to the conclusion about the time slot, so we had a live meeting already. Nine o'clock. And then we'll, um, we'll work on the rest Yay. when we, uh, when we have the confab. Very exciting. Giddy And <laughs> it'll be by July that we'll have, have the show on, so hopefully that'll work out. Awesome. But thank you. Thank you. Good to see Thanks, y'all. Jamie. I didn't ever get a chance to talk to you about Bob Gibson, but how I'll was it? Time. 
How was he's he? He's amazing. Do you know that he's... I think Google. I think he's 85. Number 45, and he, man. And he looks like he's 60. Absolutely. Yeah. That's gorgeous. my goal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm already. It's too late. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> All right. Giovanni, great to see you. Suzanne Banker, thank you very much. LearnWithMoxie.com and SuzanneVanker.com. Have a great weekend, awesome. y'all. Thanks. See ya. Thank, thank you. you. And sayonara from the Discovery Design Studios and Radio Free Almond. <laughs> 